Donc, euh, tout le monde, aujourd'hui, épisode du podcast, un épisode spécial. Euh, comment ça, tu décrirais ça, Game? Je dirais pour... pour euh, bon, c'est un épisode spécial pour tous les, les, les gamers. Les gamers, ouais. ceux qui sont, euh, qui sont toujours in, uh, in touch with uh, the gaming industry. Ouais. Mais moi, j'irais un peu plus deep dans le sens... Parce que je sais qu'il y a des gens qui nous écoutent qui ne euh, sont pas nécessairement des fans de, de, de game. Puis ça se peut que vous écoutez la prochaine entrevue puis euh, euh, vous... Trouvez pas que... Ben, c'est ça. <rire> tu sais, mais non, écoutez, la personne qu'on va, qu va interviewer, il nous appelle directement de la Californie, de Los Angeles. C'est un journaliste, euh, il a fait toutes les grosses... Euh, il a travaillé pour MTV, travaillé pour euh, euh, toutes les grosses... Euh, les grosses comp des compagnies au niveau du journalisme, au niveau des jeux vidéo. Et puis, euh, je pense que... C'est ça, il y a un parcours qui est très intéressant. Euh, comme euh, n'importe quel autre entrepreneur, euh, même au niveau de sa carrière, il a dû euh, euh, travailler fort et puis... Euh, faire certains sacrifices. Ouais, et faire certains sacrifices aussi. Et puis, euh, je pense que ça va résonner avec beaucoup de personnes de voir sa, sa détermination. Puis aujourd'hui, il, euh, il y a son propre site web qui gère, dans le fond, ben, je veux dire, comme une business, comme beaucoup de sites web. Euh, C'est un site web qui est une partie non payante, une partie payante pour du premium content, euh, toujours dans, la, dans les jeux vidéo. Mais euh, c'est quelqu'un que moi et Gabby, on suit depuis longtemps. Et puis... Euh, euh, donc, c'est ça. Donc, euh, c'est euh, ça. Donc, euh, vous allez écouter l'entrevue avec Shane Satterfield. Euh, et puis, euh, on, est, on, on va espérer que vous aimez beaucoup ça. Puis, euh... À ne pas manquer. Écoute, il y a beaucoup d'informations de, beaucoup de, de, euh, pertinentes, je trouve, par rapport à, à l'industrie oui. qui, qui a partagé avec nous. Oui. Alors, c'est définitivement uh, definitely worth a listen. Bon, mais c'est bon. Donc, uh, have a good listen. <rire> Bonjour tout le monde, bienvenue à le podcast épisode 22. Épisode 22, right? 22. Right, 22. ok, ok. Euh, donc, l'épisode 22 est présenté par le restaurant Flap Flap. Euh, restaurant Flap Flap, un des meilleurs casse-croûtes haïtiens dans la ville de Montréal. Euh, donc, pour les rejoindre, c'est le 514-329-6787. 514-329-6787. Euh, 5808-08, Charleroi, qu'est-ce qui est vraiment cool avec le restaurant Flap Flap? Euh, c'est le fait que vous pouvez faire la livraison directement à la maison. Euh, ils sont vraiment efficaces, la bouffe est vraiment bonne. Euh, le propriétaire, c'est quelqu'un que très, de très concis, qui il veut toujours que tout paraisse bien, que tout soit bien. Vous allez le voir à son restaurant, il vous dit allô, il s'assoit avec vous. Bref, restaurant Flap Flap, suivez-le sur Instagram, Facebook. On les remercie de supporter l'émission. Shane, do you like uh, Asian food? Do you, have, you have, tried? have you ever tried? Shane. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Can you hear us? You guys were... Yeah, you guys were cutting out there towards the end of your promo. Uh, okay, cool. Do, do, do you know about uh, Asian food, food, food from the Caribbean? No, I wish I did. <laughs> It sounds great. <laughs> has to be at least one place in L.A. You know? I'm guessing... Oh, uh, you, you can get any kind of food here that you want. All right. Any kind. <laughs> Within like a five-mile radius, guaranteed. That's one of the great things about living in a city this big is that you have all these options. But you pay for it, let me tell you. Yeah, I can imagine. You like spicy food? I do. I love spicy food. I love challenging myself with spicy food. <laughs> so, Sounds good. I mean, I don't know if you're going to see me like putting a video on YouTube of me eating a ghost pepper or anything like that, but uh, I think that's maybe a little bit too far, but right. uh, I do enjoy spice uh, spice in my food. So. Sounds okay. good. Sounds good. So uh, just a disclaimer real quick. Uh, so this episode is going to be mostly in English. Uh, I don't think Shane speaks a little bit of French. And when we say mostly, <laughs> it means 100% English. <laughs> I, w I wish I could speak French with you guys, but the closest I get to being bilingual is Banglish, so I... <laughs> <laughs> 
Simon. I think I know about a hundred or so words in Spanish from high school, and that's about as far as it goes. Okay, so anyways, with us, uh, if we, if you hang around with us enough, we we hope you're gonna learn a bit, uh, a little bit of French. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can change that quick for you. <laughs> All right, guys. Okay, so uh, Shane, welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you for being here, man. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Always good to talk with uh, fellow gamers. Yeah, definitely. So me and Gabby are both um, uh, members of Sifted. Definitely. And by the way, I need to talk to you afterwards because something hap is happening with my account that I don't understand. Oh, yeah. Well, that's another thing. We'll, we'll uh, Instead of going to, to um, customer service, we'll go straight to the source. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, Shane, why don't you talk a, little bit, uh, a bit about uh, your... Um, Uh, about everything you did, you know, to get to where you have your own website right now and the reason for it and basically, you know, just basically your career and, you know, what happened, you know, who is Shane Satterfield? Okay, so let's see. I went to college in Philadelphia at a school called Temple University and I was a journalism major and about halfway through my major, uh, I had to kind of figure out which direction I wanted to take it and it's sort of what would be my discipline in writing. And I originally wanted to be a sports writer. I'm a huge uh, NFL guy and a huge NHL guy. Mm -hmm. And I mean huge. Like, I'm, you can see in the back of my seat there, I have a big table. <laughs> seat, so. <laughs> so I thought I wanted to be a sports writer. But, uh, you know, in that discipline, with just within my school at Temple and within my class, there were 30 other people who wanted to be sports reporters. Mm -hmm. And the competition mm -hmm. was fierce. And there were... Like two major papers in Philadelphia, and this is back when newspapers actually mattered. Right, right. Um, yeah, yeah. And there were two major papers in Philadelphia, and there were probably like three or four intern spots with those newspapers for local college students. And there are five huge universities in Philadelphia and tons of other smaller colleges. And I started looking at it, and I'm like, man, like, I feel like I'm pretty good at it. I know I know sports very well. But what are really the chances of me being successful? And I started doing the multiplication of, okay, this is Philadelphia. Now you start multiplying all the other cities that have that many people wanting to get into sports writing. And it just didn't seem like the ideal path for me. And the other thing that I really loved my entire life was gaming. Mm -hmm. um, and arguably I, something I love more. But back then, uh, being a games journalist wasn't even a thing. Right. Like, there was, there was no field for it at all. Right. Um, Untested and right around. Right around that time, the internet started kind of becoming what we now know as the modern internet. Before it was all like BBSs, and everyone was using like 14K modems. So once everybody got like 56K connections through AOL, which yeah. I know is hilarious, the internet, started, <laughs> the internet started taking off because you would have to sit there for 10 minutes waiting for the photos to load on a web page. <laughs> and right around that time, I discovered uh, IGN64.com. Okay. which was one of the very first uh, gaming websites, at least commercial gaming websites, on the Internet. And uh, I became a part of that community very quickly, um, and I became inspired by it. And cool. I decided that I was going to launch my own website in college. So that's what I did. Hmm. Um, I launched a website called Street Level Gaming. Okay. Uh, that's what that's where the SLG for SLG Shane comes from. Right. Okay, oh, wow. It's been oh, okay, 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 cool, okay. cool. You had it for a while. And uh, so this was in 1996 or 97 around there. And uh, I launched a website with some other guy who I had met on Nintendo's official like forums on their BBS. <laughs> uh, this guy named Scott, and he and I started working on the site together. And um, I did that while I went to school full time, while I worked 35 hours a week at a job. So I was literally sleeping like three to four hours a night. Like, to, like today. Websites, like, we started getting traction like really quickly. 
um, because there just weren't a lot of options. There was IGN 64, a couple official sites like Nintendo site, and very little else. Okay. And uh, so we, we actually started building up traffic pretty quickly. I wasn't making much ad revenue. I think the, the most I made was the last month before I closed the site, and it was like $120. Wow. <laughs> okay, 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 wow. okay, okay, okay. I understand, I understand, I understand. Wow. The internet was a whole different beast back then. Of course, of course, of course, of course, of course. Yeah. Not what it yeah, is today. Yeah, and so I, gra- I was getting ready to graduate college, and one of my buddies was working with this other website called 360.com. And what it was was a – and it's still a crazy idea that hasn't been done yet. Well, not really hasn't been done yet. Right. But the website was – they basically took 3D cameras, not 3D video cameras, 3D still cameras, and went and shot all of New York City. And basically what it was going to do was you'd be able to virtually walk down the streets of New York City and mm-hmm. then shop at any of the stores that you actually see. It's a great idea mm-hmm. um, for for the time anyway, Definitely. and and they were going to sign us on as sort of their editorial source for the game stores. So mm-hmm. we would build kind of this front where people could research stuff before they bought things in the game stores. And uh, man, I thought everything was gonna was going great. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, timing is perfect. I'm about to graduate school. My website's about to go off. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, what happened was the all the money that they had from their investors, they ended up blowing on shooting New York City. They way overspent on shooting New York mm, City. Okay. They ran out of cash, and they couldn't. They didn't know if they were going to find more, and they, ultimately they didn't. Mm-hmm. But you know, I had just graduated school, and I had a few month grace period before I had to start paying back my student loans. Right. Oh, okay, so yeah. I I couldn't sit around and wait to see what was going to happen with it. Essentially, so I just started applying for jobs, and right around that time. About a year after I launched my site, Game GameSpot had already started. It was called Video GameSpot at mm-hmm. the time. <laughs> wow! Um, and uh, I saw an opening for a job there. I applied and I got an email. Cool. And I guess the the hiring manager, his name was Joe Fielder, had stumbled onto my website and you know it checked it out and was like, you know, you're doing great stuff. I want to bring you out. So they flew me out for an interview in San Francisco, my first time in California. Um, and I guess the interview went really well. They hired me, and mm-hmm. my first. My first job, my first real job, I guess, aside from my own site, uh, in games, I was the magazine editor for GameSpot. And again, this kind of shows how long ago I started doing this. Magazines were really relevant back then. And GameSpot was owned by ZDNet, which was primarily into magazine publishing at the mm-hmm. time. And they had yeah, yeah. EGM, an official PlayStation magazine, and oh, a Tips and Tricks those. magazine. And my job was to take those magazines and put them onto GameSpot.com as web pages. Okay. And originally it was supposed to be a full-time job, and I ended up getting it done like in two or three days every month. So wow. after like okay. the first month after I figured it out, wow. the second month, what was supposed to be a job that lasted a month, I got done in like three days. Wow. And, okay. Damn. Okay. And so GameSpot was forced to figure out something to do with me. Because mm-hmm. they're like, we can't just pay this guy to just sit around and do nothing. So they finally started trusting me to do editorial Other content. Okay. And I... Uh, my first review I ever did for GameSpot was for a game called Lego Rock Raiders. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, we can Google it. <laughs> yeah. I was, uh, it's still up. It's still actually up on their webpage, believe it or not. Okay. But I was the guy who they were shoveling all the games to that they didn't want to review. And uh, after I did a few reviews, because I've been reviewing games on our site for right. years. Right. So it was kind of a step back at that job from what I had been doing, but... It was all about the prospect of having an opportunity, and, and you got paid, and you, you you were you were paid, you know, like right, oh, Bef- yeah, yeah. you know, yeah, so yeah. Bef- had, yeah, it wasn't much for San Francisco. I was like on the poverty scale, pretty much. Like wow. I had no money. I Rough had times. to 
I didn't have enough money to take a bus to work. I was living in the East Bay. I couldn't afford to live in San Francisco. So I'd take the bus across the East Bay, but then I couldn't afford the second bus that would connect me from the terminal to GameSpot. So I was walking like two or three miles each way from the bus stop to get to work. Wow. And you did Uh, that for how long? Eating at McDonald's every day. It was, I mean, you got to pay your dues, right? And that's what I was doing. I was paying my dues. And so after a while, they started realizing, hey, this guy is what he says he he is. He actually, they could tell that I had been reviewing games for a long time. So they started giving me bigger and bigger games to review. And then I just eventually became completely integrated into the editorial staff and just became a normal editorial person there. Um, And then after I worked there for a while, uh, GameSpot went through a brief period where it decided to split up, kind of like how IGN is, and just assign Mm -hmm. certain people to just work on particular platforms. Um, And so I became the GameCube editor for GameSpot. Mm -hmm. And I'd also been promoted to features editor. So I was the guy who worked with all the freelance writers to do all the feature-length retrospectives that they were doing and their other features content. So I had moved up there pretty quickly, and I became kind of the platform director for Nintendo platforms for the GameCube and GBA content. Um, And I did that for a while, and I guess, what year was it? 2001, when the internet economy completely crashed, Mm -hmm. and the the dot-com bubble popped, CNET laid off like 50% of its workforce, that was who owned GameSpot, Right. and uh, and I was a part of the layoffs, I was, basically their policy was last one in, first one out. Uh, Right, of course, of course, like like most companies in the the end, you know? Typical corporate, yeah, okay. Yeah, but the it sucked because I was one of the people who moved three thousand miles to come and work. There. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember I cried that day whenever I got With laid reason. off because I was just like, "What? What am I going to do? I was making no money. Um, I was walking to work every day just to survive, and then I lost my job. Mm. And uh, how it worked out was in the same building that we were working in at the time, um, Tech TV was on the floor above us, mm-hmm. and. I had managed to meet Adam Sessler just around the building or whatever, and he had just started working in games, and he was kind of, uh, he was green, and he'll tell you, you know, when he first started working on on the TV show, he had never really worked with games at all, mm-hmm. and so he would he would pick my brain, and we'd have lunch together, and uh, he just asked me all these questions about games, and what does this mean, and what does that mean, and we became really good friends, hmm. and uh, so when I got laid off from GameSpot, he basically saw me walking out of the building. He's like, where are you going? Because I have my, a box with all my stuff. And I'm like, man, you know, I got laid off. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. He's like, we're wow. staffing up for a show, and uh, I'm going to get you a job. And uh, That's amazing. That's, that's, a, that's, that's amazing. That's, crazy. that's amazing. Crazy. And, that, and that's exactly what he did. He got me a job as an associate producer and the editorial coordinator on the first show that he worked on, which was called Extended Play. Okay. Um, and, and then the funny part is I worked there for like, two months or three months on extended play and our boss came to us and was like hey this show's going to be canceled if the ratings don't go up okay. and so we're tasking you guys with coming up with a new idea for a show and i was like man i just got laid off and i just mm-hmm. got this you can't job. go through this again yeah. I'm like, and now i'm going to get laid off again so all the people on the show team for extended play we all got together and we created x play and uh, they brought in Morgan Webb to co-host with Adam on that show, because before it was just Adam doing mm-hmm. extended play. And they brought in Morgan, and Morgan was amazing, and it, they had a great chemistry, and everything just kind of clicked together. And within the first week, X-Play became the top-rated show on Tech TV. Wow. Nice, um, cool. nice, and pe- nice. And people thought it was like a flash in the pan, because like, there was this other show on Tech TV called The Screen Savers, which had been the top-rated show forever. It was Tech okay. TV's biggest show. 
So when we got our first ratings, they were like, oh, those aren't going to stick. You know, you just had a big bump because Morgan had moved over from the screensavers. And they're like, all the screensavers people are just watching Morgan. The ratings are going to go down. It never happened. We mm-hmm. stayed on top at Tech TV until Tech TV was bought by G4, basically. Right. So, yeah, G4. Okay. So early 2000s, G4 buys Tech TV. And basically they say, you know, if you want to keep your job, you have to move to Los Angeles. And we were fortunate because uh-huh. the majority of people from Tech TV lost their jobs. So just that we had the option to even take the job was huge for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way I looked at it was, if I don't like Los Angeles, I'll just move back to San Francisco. Okay. So everybody on the X-Play team moved down. Um, and then X-Play pretty much exploded. We got some extra distribution from uh, joining with G4. Uh, so we added some households mm-hmm. to our potential audience. And uh, we, we continued reigning as a top-rated show on G4 for until I, until I left there. Right. So in late 2005, um, just from going to video game junkets and all right. this type of stuff, yeah. and I had become like the editorial director for G4 through all this too. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I had kind of stepped, stepped up and was running content for all the gaming-related stuff across G4. So anytime any of the shows wanted to do something with games, I was getting them the code. Mm-hmm. I was calling the people to get them scheduled to come in for interviews and that type of stuff. So okay. throughout the course of being in the industry and going to all the press events and review events, I had met this guy from MTV. And uh, in late 2005, he called me and he's like, hey, um, these uh, MTV is about ready to get into digital really big. And they're about okay. to buy this website that these guys have been working on in their garage. And they're looking for an editor-in-chief to come in and take over editorial for, for the new website. And I was like, okay, well, I'm interested. Put me in touch, and you know, we'll see how it goes. So I went in, interviewed with this great guy named John Slester. He and I hit it off right away. Um, and he told me this site is called GameTrailers.com. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, he's like, right now there's two guys working on it, basically. They're the two founders. Um, we are purchasing them. They are coming into the fold very soon. We're about to get office space here at MTV. Um, which, like, which was Br- wanna, wanna, Brendan was yeah. part of the owners. Brandon Jones was one of the founders. Right. Brandon okay. Jones was one of the people that mm-hmm. one of the two, and the other guy ended up leaving before I left GT. Right. Uh, okay. He went and ended up starting another company with another guy from GT. Uh, right. Brent Phillips. You guys probably know the guy who built Sifted. Right. Yeah. He started, yeah. He started a company with Brent and a couple other guys. So they kind of went on to do their own thing as well. So um, they make they offer me a, a decent salary, uh, a lot more um, resources to create content. Responsibility. Um, when I was at G4, kind of everybody else worked on the budgets and figured out where all the money went, and I was going to be able to decide where the money was spent at MTV with game trailers, and Concrete, that was enough yeah. for me to go. So said goodbye to everyone at G4. It was really tough. I still love all those people. They're still some of my best friends in the whole wide world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I left to go work at Game Trailers and uh, went into Game Trailers. They were right. There was only really, like two people there. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he had promised me like this nice office and this great office space. And when I showed up for my first day at work, my office was literally a table pushed up against a wall <laughs> with a phone on it. And I was like, <laughs> I remember I went out that day uh, at lunch <laughs> and I called my wife and I told my wife, I'm like, I think I just made the biggest mistake of my life. <laughs> did you at least have like a, a window view? <laughs> no, no. Actually, I did have a window view. I did. I had to look out in Santa Monica. That made it a little bit better. But she's like, look, it's your first day. Like, don't freak out. Like, 
you know, things can always get better. At least give it a chance. And I was yeah. like, well, I'm going to give it a chance. I'm like, I just left my dream job to come here. Yeah, so yeah. I'm not going to just like quit after a day. Uh, and so we stayed in that office space for quite a while, actually. In fact, our first E3 happened in that space. Wow. And, uh, and I, it, it was just a meteoric rise because before I got there, they were, they were just a place to go watch trailers. That's all they did. Mm-hmm. Yep. But they had just kind of started doing some original content. They had done a handful of reviews and a couple previews. But they didn't have anyone from editorial working there. It was just Brandon and the other founder who were trying to get editorial. They'd never worked in editorial before. So I got in there, staffed up like our edit bays with uh, video editors, hired all these freelance writers to write our reviews, connected game trailers with the industry because they had no industry contacts. Right. Mm-hmm. No one in the industry. So I got us on all the mailing lists for all the review code, all the preview code. I got us on all the lists to go to all the review events, yeah. uh, got us into all the press conferences, set up for live streams with the big three. Um, I just basically went in and just set up the entire editorial structure and workflow for game trailers. Cool. And yeah. and game trailers just exploded. I mean, yeah. exploded. My first month that I worked there, we had two hundred and sixty thousand uniques. Mm-hmm. And within a year's time, we were up internally to like over ten million uniques. Wow! Like it just went, it just went crazy. Because so, we were the first gaming website to concentrate on video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys were the first. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. That's what made it, me. That's what made me become a fan of, of the of the website personally. That was our sole focus, and that's why they hired me because I had come from television and I had worked with video for video games probably more than any other journalist in the industry at the time. Okay. And that's what we did. We just turned into a video production machine. Um, and because I had come from television, I knew how to schedule edit bays, how to hire editors how much time should be expected to edit a piece of video together so that editors weren't coming in there and slacking off and Mm -hmm. trying to get away with it. Um, So we just went on this meteoric rise. And and, we were were the first to really concentrate 100% on video, but we were also the first to have user videos for for any gaming website. Mm -hmm. We were were the YouTube before YouTube. YouTube. Um, our, Our user videos system generated as much or as more views as our original content did. It wow. was huge. Wow. Like it was unbelievably huge how much traffic we got from our user videos. And we were also the first gaming website to go into HD video production. Right. So yeah, yeah. first we were like, okay, we're going to do nothing but video. That's a first. And then we were the first people to start doing HD video. And mm-hmm. that's right when Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 were hitting. Right. And yeah. that's when, when HD was starting to become a really big deal. Um, and it was just the perfect storm, you know. It was just yeah, the timing was perfect. I was, the people that I hired were great. They were awesome people. They were really hard workers, which was really the key to it because we were trying to compete with IGN and Gamespot, who had an editorial team literally like ten times the size of ours. We had like five guys, and they had like fifty guys. Mm-hmm. And we would go to events, and it would be like me and a camera guy. <laughs> and then you look over at IGN, and there the was literally squad. like fifteen people there. Like, <laughs> Like a whole so, football so, team. So Shane, Shane, just one second. I go to IGN um, quite a lot. Okay, um, uh-huh. are they that much of a beast that it seems that they are? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. So, so, <laughs> so, so, so j- j- just just so people can fathom what they are like. Can you like uh, give an example of how big they are and like in, in terms of comparing them to something or someone or I don't know or or some kind of company or whatever. So it. When I was at GT, our best month we or best month we ever had, and I believe it was in two thousand nine, was twenty three million monthly uniques. Right. God, okay. And, and back then, IGN was at like eighty. 
Wow. What? Okay. 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 Right. All right. Gotcha. So that's they four are, times. Yeah. They are bigger than you can ever imagine. Right. They're huge. Because uh, it seems like it's a, it's a well-oiled machine, you know? Like, it seems like it's uh, it's running on itself right now, you know? Like, it's, uh, you, you know? But, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, it seems like you guys were always, you know, you, you had your core... Uh, videos and stuff like that and, and, and so forth. But I don't know. It seems like they're a beast and, and you, you don't see the money. That's the thing, right? With a website like this, right? You don't see it, but you see they have like this guy is in charge of this and this and this. And I'm like, oh, well, this is a full-blown company, you know? I, I Well, they're a huge organization because, you know, eventually they branched out of games and they started doing everything. Right. Exactly. Yes, exactly. They started doing geek culture. They do movies. They do television. They do comics. Exactly. I mean, they're not just a gaming website. A lot of people mm -hmm. think, you know, only go to IGN and hit their gaming page. But if you actually just go to like IGN, like .com, their main hub, they create so much content. They yeah. become yeah. like yeah. a media company instead of just a gaming website. Right. Yeah, movies, um, TV, and all you know, the other thing too is for us, we innovated a lot. We created a lot of the first. Like we created Bonus Round, which was a, really the first kind of round of that type of show. Yeah. Discussion. Uh, and by the way, we created graphics comparison videos. We were the first people to ever do this. We created all these content types for games. And the problem with being the first to create something is that it's very easy for people to steal it. Exactly. So exactly. Exactly. We couldn't. We couldn't copyright comparison videos. We couldn't copyright show styles mm, or right, anything like that. Right. And so all IGN did was just throw money at it. You know, and they, they took the idea. It's kind of like taking an idea and made it better. They, I don't know if they made it better. I would not agree with that. I know. When when he said better, I think he meant in a way that uh, a more more, um, more flashy. More, you know, more you kind know. of like what you said in the sense uh, throwing money at it. Like me personally, I used to be an IGN fan before GT uh, showed up, and then I my, yeah. I personally for me, uh, uh, game trailers had everything I I needed. But uh, I, I don't think their production values were better. When I say they threw money at it, it was they were able to create more content. Right. Okay. They had okay. they had more people. Right. So more they were resources. able to copy a lot of the stuff that we were doing, and then put more people on resources. So ba basically, more resources at the end of the day, right? So, right, so, right. so. But you, you know what I felt is that I was never a fan a fan of IGN's uh, content that way. I always preferred uh, Invisible Walls, Bonus Round. Um, I felt that the team that you had at GT, uh, the personalities were more, um, how can I say this, um, I more unique. I find that there was a, a wider variety of, of opinions yeah. also bouncing off of each other. Yeah, that's uh, what I felt uh, too. I think the other thing too is that we weren't afraid to disagree with each other. They, right, like exactly. You watch, yeah. you watch a lot of shows back then or today and they're just... Look, they're filled with great people and who know what they're talking about, but everyone's just afraid to voice a different opinion. Yeah, and well, I mean, get the, 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 I would say with my friend here, uh, that's kind of like the foundation of, our, of, of who we've always been. We uh, disagree regularly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but that's we good. Are, that's but important we, for a compelling show. It's like, I feel like a lot of the shows, not just on IGN, but kind of everywhere, they're just... They're kind of patting each other on the back. It's yeah. Not, they're not. They're not engaging in discourse. Right. Um, everyone seems to have the same opinion. And this happens. Look, when you work at a company, and everyone works together, and everyone plays games around each other, it's all. It becomes like a hive mindset mm -hmm. because everyone kind of watches everyone else play. They hear the commentary from each other, and they all end up kind of settling on this consensus. Uh, it ha look. It happened at GT sometimes. You know, yeah. I. 
eventually I got promoted up and I became a VP of Viacom and I was running GT plus a bunch of other websites. And so I couldn't interact with the rest of the guys as much as I wanted to. And it's something I hated about kind of becoming a, an executive was that I wasn't around like my team as much anymore. But I could see after a while when they spent a lot of time in the back in the capture area playing games together, they come out of there and they come in and record invisible walls and a lot of them would just be saying the same thing it's as like the other because they all because they all sat there and it's not a bad thing. It's just human nature. They just sat there and listened to each other talk about the game for three days that they were playing to capture footage of or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just inevitably, you kind of pick up the same opinions and impressions as everybody else you're around. So, hmm. it, you know, GT wasn't immune to it. It just wasn't quite as bad because we didn't have as many people and they weren't all congregated together as they were at IGN. Right. So, right. Personalized settings, so it wasn't so, as... Okay. So, 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 Shane, if you, if, if you, if you don't mind, like, uh, can you tell people, uh, I don't know if you're allowed or whatever, um, why did you leave GT? Uh, well, I left GT because, well, there's a number of reasons. I had been there for a long time, and I had kind of stopped growing there. And a lot mm-hmm. of people don't know that I did a lot more at Viacom than just working on GT. In fact, most people think I just worked on GT. Right. Mm-hmm. But uh, I also worked on Spike.com and WikiChiefs.com. I was the VP over Spike Digital Entertainment, which was like a whole network of sites. Right. Um, And I had been there a long time. I had been working 60, 70-hour weeks. That's not an exaggeration, by the way. That right. was how much time I was dedicated to my job. Because when they took me off of GT kind of full-time and had me working on other websites, I took a job working as running Spike.com, which was the uh, official website for Spike TV, which mm-hmm, is a big okay. network here, right. here in America. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if you definitely. guys get it in Canada or not. But they gave me another guy's full-time job. So this guy was kind of my counterpart working on the network side. And they're like, hey, we want you to take over his job, but we also want you to keep doing your job at GT. So I was basically doing two jobs. Right. At full-time job. And it was just, it was too much. I was just burning out. Um, I kind of had an inkling of what was going on with GT anyway, because yeah, our traffic had like plummeted. And I talked about this on Game Face. Right. Yeah, I, I remember. Yeah, we remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've checked that out, yeah. Yeah, so I kind of knew what was going on behind the scenes as far as like the traffic was plummeting mm-hmm. and that Viacom was starting to kind of shop GT mm-hmm. around and started looking for buyers. And uh, the other part of it, too, is that, you know, I'd had these guys underneath me for so long who never really kind of had a shot at okay. kind of moving up. Like, GT had been kind of fixed for a long time. Mm-hmm. Everyone yeah, yeah. had kind of got promoted up to their positions. Like, Ryan Stevens had been my managing editor for seven years there and you know our review we our reviews editors did change over time as people came and went uh but otherwise like all our associate editors had been associate editors for seven years there's no way for them to uh to rise up through the ranks Mm -hmm. Uh, it was just it was just the right time in all honesty okay Uh, the other problem too is that my dad had had a massive heart attack oh wow a year or two prior yeah And um, he was in really bad health, and he had been trying to build this car for like five or six years, and he had just gotten to the point where he couldn't really work on it anymore. And, you know, he had talked to me and said, you know, I don't have much time I have left. I feel like, you know, he had had really bad problems with COPD. He couldn't breathe. Wow. Okay. And, okay. And so he's like, I don't have much time left, and I don't really see you. I see you like three days a year. And uh, so I was just like, well, you know what? I'm going to come and live with you for a while. I'm going to help you finish your car. Cool. So That's really I, nice. I moved awesome. out and live, live with my dad for two months and paid for all the parts and brought people in to help build his car and finish his car off. Awesome. Um, and I always had the idea of sifted in the back of my mind. I'm not like the world's biggest corporate guy. So working in, that, in the Viacom, you know, people think MTV, crazy fun. 
MTV was nothing like what people think MTV is by the time <laughs> I got there. Like, mm-hmm. that's what MTV was like in the 80s and early 90s. It was just like any other corporate job whenever I was there. It yep. had the same yeah. old crap that you had to deal with and yeah. upper management that didn't really understand our business and made decisions for us that our fans yep. hated, and we were the ones mm-hmm. who had to answer for it. And it's just a million reasons why I decided to leave. I but I'd already had the idea of Sifted kind of in the back of my mind, and I knew I wanted to start my own thing eventually anyway. I didn't want to work in that environment forever. Uh, so it was just kind of like the stars aligning, and it was time to go. Yeah, it was um, just time. I guess my one big regret, though, is that... When I left GT, it took way too long to build Sifted. Right. It did take a, I w- a couple of years, I was, right? Yeah, like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. I was gone. So so I was away for a couple months uh, working with my dad to finish his car. And then I came back and I started talking to Brent because Brent had left GT mm-hmm. way before I did. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, hey, you know, you think this is something you might want to do? You might be interested in it? And he had kind of waffled and... And finally, I decided, I'm like, I want to do this. And so I went, I had lunch with him, and I was like, hey, I want to do this. Are you willing to do it? You know, I'd want to hire you, but if not, I'll go somewhere else. And uh, he's like, no, let's do it. So the original plan was by the end of that year, actually by like August or October of that year, the site was going to launch. Uh-huh. And really? that, okay. that was a that was plan all along, and it just never happened. Brent had another job, because uh, I told you he had kind of went and started forming that other company, yep, some yes. of the other guys from GT. And he just didn't have the time to work on it that he thought. And uh, it just kept dragging on right. and on and on. And all the while, I'm not even saying anything. You know, I'm not saying I'm working on this website. I dropped yeah. a couple mm-hmm. hints like, hey, you know, I'm, I might be coming back in some capacity. Yeah, you have to be but careful. There was that steady stream of information coming from me. And in all honesty, I just kind of fell off the radar. Right. Know, before, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Shane's gone. You know, he, who knows what happened to him, where he went. He's just gone. And uh, I needed to wait for a working prototype to announce a site. Because I didn't want to say, hey, I'm doing this site, and then, and then nothing. not have anything to show. Because yeah. it's a crazy idea. Like, you tell somebody about it, and they're like, oh, sure, you're going to make that work. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it's new, and right? The people don't know what it is. We've never I mean, had anything no, like it before, so. There's nothing like yeah. it. There, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like there's it. not. In, in, anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, most and definitely. so I felt like if I didn't have something to show people, they wouldn't believe it. They'd just be like, oh, yeah, that's going to happen. Um, so I waited until we got the working prototype. So, like, you know, we didn't show the site until, like, the next year in, like, I think it was April, something like yeah. that. So it was, you know, and I, had, and I had told people once I announced that I was working on something, it was coming in, like, October the year prior. After I told them it was coming in August the year prior, and mm-hmm. it just kept dragging on. So finally, by the time I got to show it off, I was like, thank God. But I feel like a lot of people had just kind of fallen off the radar. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes, but also one that I really – couldn't do anything about you know mm-hmm. once i had assigned brent to uh, work on the site i can't make it work any faster and he mm-hmm. can't either you know he worked mm-hmm. really hard on it and gave yep. everything he had he just didn't have enough time to get it done in a timely manner so that's probably the big regret maybe in hindsight i just should have just spent even more money and brought some other people in to work on it right uh, i don't mm-hmm. know but but uh, anyways yeah and that brings it brings up sifted so yeah um like I said, had lunch with Brent, tossed the idea around. He didn't seem to think it was completely insane. <laughs> <laughs> he said he thought he could do it. And uh, I'll never forget the first day we got the SIF to work. Uh, it was uh, quite a revelation, quite a great day. Whenever we oh, saw for sure. like, the algorithm working and the imagine. tagging working and the ratings working and gave us that custom feed. I'll never forget when I watched it populate for the first time. I was like, oh, my gosh. Yep, it it's happening. freaking works. Um, and then it was just a lot of work after that. I mean, it, truth be told, the site was supposed to have launched with everything it has now. Oh, okay. And only, okay. And only 
three or four months ago, it finally was feature complete. It yeah. finally had every everything in it that I had promised on the day I debuted it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. even after the site launched uh, that May, basically, um, it we still worked on it for another year and a half to get mm-hmm. to where to still finish a it. More basically, work to be done. Mm-hmm. And, and look, along the way, Brent added a bunch of stuff that wasn't even in the plan, and it's become way better than what the original sort of site document right. had in it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been great, and you know, every once in a while, like a new feature will pop up, and it'll send me an email like, "Hey, I did this," and I'm like, "Wow, that's awesome!" Right. <laughs> he's like a he, he's like a brilliant uh, programmer, by the way. Right. Brent mm-hmm. is he is amazing. He's I, not I, just some rank and file like guy who, who pounds on keys. Like, yeah, I, I I I think I heard him on the. Um uh what's the name of the the sifted podcast there or with the two guys um podcast reloaded reloaded oh yeah, yeah uh i i heard brent talk and he seemed like uh, that kind of d- genius guy right you know that, that, I mean, that he, he, <laughs> he knows he knows his stuff he knows his stuff he definitely <laughs> knows his that. stuff that's crazy yeah that's um, crazy and, and so it took a little longer than it than it should have and it definitely lost some steam because the other thing was from my announcement to when it launched that was another like six or eight months so. right yeah I remember when you announced it on Twitter, and yeah. I was just waiting after it personally. I, yeah, I was it was, just it was too long of a wait, and I feel like it lost a lot of momentum during that period as well. So it's been, I feel like it was kind of like we were behind the eight ball right out of the gate with the website, mm-hmm. and we've just been battling ever since. But if there's one thing I do, it's battle. And if there's another thing I do is never give up. So. Definitely, and kudos for that, because uh, I, for one... Uh, very happy that you you pulled oh. through on that website. Listen, yeah. whoever that you know behind you that worked on the project, amazing job. Yeah, amazing no, job. And, and I want to say you. also, um, you know, we're big fans, obviously. But um, um, before you, I want you to explain to, to people that might not know what Sifted is or does, mm-hmm. uh, real quick. You can you can tell them. But um, uh, I, I want you to realize that when when you have people like us that were we were basically missing you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. In terms of right. like. In terms of like a show like Invisible Walls, in terms of not necessarily the show, but like in terms of your opinion and what you and brought, what yeah, you brought exactly. And, and, and I want to get into that with you later. But for, first, um, uh, explain yeah, to people what Sifted is. Yep. Okay. So Sifted is a hand curated, hand curated social network for gamers. So what spurred this idea was that I got sick of going on Facebook and seeing crap that I didn't care about, mm-hmm. and and a lot of it is because. Anybody can post something to Facebook. Your mom can post cat pictures to Facebook, and they end up in your feed. And it's your uncle and your aunt and your grandparents. And look, it's great that you connect with those people on Facebook, but I tend to use a telephone for that. So, So what I wanted to create was basically a website that I wanted to use for gaming for the rest of my life because, you know, I had kind of relied on forums for aggregation for a long time, like sites like NeoGAF. And I had just gotten to the point with NeoGAF that I was just too old. Like, I couldn't relate to a lot of the people on it anymore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I didn't like a lot of the anger that was on there. Uh, I didn't like a lot of the trolling that was going on on there. I didn't like that I had to scroll through, like, 10 pages of of threads to find something Mm -hmm. that I wanted to consume. And so I was like, look, I'm older. There's a lot of older gamers now. The median age of the gamer goes up literally every year because yeah, all yeah. of us people who have been playing our whole lives, we don't quit because it's so freaking awesome. So yeah. I'm like, there's got to be people out there who are like me who don't have the time to engage with games like they still want to. And I wanted to create a resource for them where they could go, and if they only have literally five minutes, they could see everything that they really care about in that five minutes mm-hmm. on a website. And I was like, the only way you could do that is to give them the choice of what they see. And the other way that you could do that is to make sure that there's no garbage 
in the social network. So the lack of garbage, that's curation. That's making sure you have informed people pulling in the content and adding it to the social network. Mm -hmm. And then giving the user the choice, that's the SIFT rating. If people come to SIFTed, they tell us what they like. They fill out a quick, quick and easy form. They tell us what they care about, whether it's genre or platform. Some people love Nintendo and don't care about Sony. Some people love Microsoft and don't care about Nintendo. You tell us what you care about, and then we take that information, and then when we bring in content into the website on our end, we tag it to up to 60 different categories, and then we rate it. We mm -hmm. give it a rating as far as how much we think, how much, how important it is to the average player. And that is one, one side of Sifted where our editorial does come in a little bit, but we've been doing this for 20-some years. We feel like we have a pretty good idea of the pulse. And now that we have data, the site's been live for two years, we can look at the data and we can see what people really care about. So. Mm -hmm. We rate the content, we bring it in, we tag it to 60-plus categories. They tell us what they care about. All that information goes into an algorithm, and then the algorithm spits out a one-of-a-kind content feed for each person who comes to the website. So you come to the website, you're getting exactly what you want at the top of the page. You don't have to scroll, scroll down a mile to see what you want, and you can consume it very quickly. Uh, also, the way the site works with its interface, it never takes you outside of Sifted. So we're not, say, we're not saying, here's a link. Now go to this other web page that may mm -hmm. or may not load mm -hmm. quickly. Now find their video player. Everything is self-contained and sifted. So we have our own video player that plays the embeds uh, with our own comment section. Um, articles have frames around them to keep you in the sifted environment. So you never feel like you're leaving, and you're never really not leaving. Mm -hmm. It's all self-contained. So the whole object was to serve myself. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I mean, I really, I just created the website that I want to use. Yeah. You know, I was, and I was very fortunate. I started from scratch, and I had a great programmer he knew how to make my dream become a reality. And uh, it's, again, I never thought it would end up being as good as it is. Um, and, you know, adding the, the ability to sort all the content by time. You know, some people, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we can look at the data of our users. Some people only come to the website like two or three times a month. But mm -hmm. when they come there, they can sort the site by month. And they mm -hmm. can see all the stuff that they care about for the last 30 days. Mm -hmm. And obviously you can do it by 24 hours or 48 hours a week. Um, all time if you really want to get crazy. But uh, <laughs> ultimately, I just built the website that I wanted to use for the rest of my life to make my life easier. And I just hoped that other people would find that it did the same thing for them. Cool. Uh, listen, uh, I think you definitely did that. I think uh, Sifted is a great, uh, it's a great tool. Definitely. If you're a gamer uh, or just followed the gaming industry, uh, I, I launched my own company myself three years ago. So um, I don't have time to, to waste when I want to get my news. So Sifted is great, is great at, at that. So that's, that's really good. Uh, kudos on that, mm -hmm. most definitely. And for me, it's not too complicated. It's the only website that I go to. So <laughs> it's simple enough. Yeah. Well, worth the, is, well worth the money. I think that is one thing we could do with the site to make it more successful is make it simpler because we, again, we see the data on everyone and the vast majority of people who come to sifted never even set their sift ratings, right? They, oh, really? they register mm -hmm. and they just go straight to the homepage. They don't oh. even bother to use the site the way it's intended. And right. consequently, a lot of those people then say, I don't get it. Because <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah, and, and I mean, it's tough because you want to make sure it has a lot of depth yeah. so that the people who decide to stick around and love it can dig into it and really get a lot out of it. But then you also have to make it very user-friendly user and approachable so that when people come for the first time, they get it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think, yeah. that's, I think that's been a big issue for us, though, is that you know we get so many people that sign up every day 
But if you look at, because we can see, you know, because we have on-site leveling, we can see how many points everyone's accrued. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A lot of them come, look at the homepage, leave, and never come back. Like, right. they literally okay. look at the homepage and just go. So and you have a coming... a lot better of making sort of that, uh, that first blush with the website a lot more inviting and a lot more intuitive. Okay. So yeah, okay. Yeah, so you have a so basically what you're saying you have a communication problem with with your user basically that with your your consumer. So basically they got they come here they hear about it and then they don't they don't they don't get it. But at the same time, I feel that um I feel that sifted is made for a type of person, a certain type, you know. Yeah. So maybe that person you know it it wasn't meant for them because. I know a lot of person that that would use a uh, uh, sifted, you know, like uh, for sure, you know. But I, I feel that um 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 you, you know when you said that you fell off the radar, like I yeah. I feel that um um you know uh, I'm surprised that you're not more you know doing um um uh, uh, featuring on a co-optional podcast or on uh, whatever going to do interviews with uh, you know all those other, uh, other people that we know that you know. Is there a specific reason for that? Well, I think the reason is that those the people that I knew and my colleagues aren't there anymore. Right. They've all like moved on. They've, They've moved all on. been replaced by these younger people who don't even know who the hell I am. Right. Even mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. like uh, even people like Greg Miller. Mm-hmm. Like I had mm-hmm. already been in the industry for ten plus years by the time he got in it. He's a part of kind of that later generation of he almost crosses over into like the YouTube generation mm-hmm. a little bit. Okay. Okay. Which is kind of kind of fitting why he ultimately now is making his living on YouTube. And so those people just simply don't even know who I am. Right. That's really what it comes down to. All the guys who were the editor-in-chiefs, the supervising editors, the managing editors, the reviews editors, who used to work at IGN and GameSpot, those people are all gone. Right. And hmm. most of them work in game development now. They've all taken jobs at like video game publishers or video okay. game developers. I never wanted to do that because that was never my goal. It's not and your interest. A lot of people, you know... And it's hard to argue against it because it does happen all the time. But a lot of like the people, if you read NeoGAF, they're always like, "Oh, you know, he just this journalist doesn't really care. He just wants to get a job with publishers." And for, in a lot of cases, it is true. Like, mm-hmm, Gamespot mm-hmm. just lost a couple of their editors. They both went to work for publishers. One of them wow. works at like yeah. Ubisoft now. Wow. But that was never what I wanted to do because I didn't fall into the job. I guess is the best way to put it. Because yeah. a lot of the people who were the founders of IGN, they were like buddies of the people who founded it. And there were no game journalists then. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. they're like, hey, can you write? And they're like, I can write. Let me write you a review. And they're like, you're hired. And then they just grew, <laughs> and then they just grew with the company as yeah. time went on. And they got better. And they got, you know, they were, became great ultimately. Um, but me, that's, it's, this is what I wanted to do. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a journalism major. I went to school for journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, I never want, I've said it a million times, I never want to work for a publisher or a developer if I can avoid it. It's not what I set out to do when I entered this industry. I want to cover games. I want to share criticism about games. I want to help people save money. That has kind of yeah, been my yeah, mind yeah, all along. Yeah. Is that, you know, back think back when I was talking about living in San Francisco and I had to walk to work every day because yep. I didn't have a dollar fifty to ride yeah. the bus. Like yeah. I grew up poor. You know, mm-hmm. I, my family wasn't rich when I grew up. So mm-hmm. I've learned to appreciate the dollar and mm-hmm. what it takes to make a dollar. And so mm-hmm. I've always had this kind of inside me of it's very important to me that I make sure that the people who listen to me are spending their money wisely. The right one. And, uh, 
And honestly, I think a lot of people never got that about me. I think they're just like, oh, he's a hater, or oh, he. Yeah. And you know, one week I was a Sony fanboy, the next week I was a Nintendo fanboy. It's like you're. But that's you're, what happens when you just tell it like it yeah, is. Yeah, you're, you're because, opinionated, and people don't know one, how to handle because that. Because on one episode, you're if if you're a real critic, you're gonna eventually find criticism with pretty much everything. Yeah. And so. One week I would criticize Microsoft. The next week I would criticize Sony. The next week I would criticize Nintendo. Yep. And mm-hmm. so every week people were like, "Oh, Shane's a this fanboy this week." And because <laughs> yeah, they would I always mean... stumble upon the because what happens is when you criticize something, it gets shared generally, mm-hmm. yeah. and it doesn't yeah. get shared to people like us. Mm-hmm. It gets shared so the into the fanboy communities. Mm-hmm. So. Say I said something about Nintendo, bad about Nintendo on bonus <laughs> round. Well, the next thing that happens is a Nintendo fan watches a show on game trailers, and then that fan goes to all the Nintendo communities and says, "Hey, look at what he look said. Look at what look at what Shane said about Nintendo." So then they all show up and they're all like, "Oh, you're a Sony <laughs> fanboy," and I'm like, "Oh, but if you had just watched the show last week when I laid into Sony over something it did." It's just it's this mob yeah, they don't care about that. online that I don't know if is ever going to go away. And I think one of the more frustrating things for me, kind of watching game coverage and uh, game journalism evolve over time, is that it has gone the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Like I thought over time, as people like us grew older, and we wanted more informed opinions mm-hmm. and more mm-hmm. even-keeled opinions and more equal quality opinions as far as you know opinions on everything and kind of holding an equal standard to everything... I thought that would grow over time because as you get older, you have more disposable income. You don't kind of fall into that trap of, I can only afford a PlayStation. Mm-hmm. So yeah. everything on PlayStation is awesome. Everything that's not on PlayStation sucks. Mm. Like you, you think that you grow out of that over yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. But honestly, what's happened is that it's just gone backwards. And it's gone to this place where you people are following these YouTubers who mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. very specific slants, which is totally fine. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But it's been surprising to me to see people flock to that instead of kind of flocking to these journalists who have a more even keel and kind of see things uh, a little more fairly, I guess, is the best way to put it. Yeah, and more, they have more, it's more ethical also, you know, at a certain point, you know. But would it be safe to say, like, the people that are, that, that are flocking more towards the YouTubers, it's like a certain age group, no, that, that, are, that are following, you know what I mean? So I'm guessing those, they, they've become the majority? It, it, no, you're right. It, it is younger people. I mean, generally the, the demographic of YouTubers or that audience does skew a good bit younger, particularly mm-hmm. when you talk about some of the more over-the-top personalities like a PewDiePie, mm-hmm. um, who kind of goes for the shock humor and things like that, which doesn't really resonate with older people, but with the kids, they love it. So yeah, yeah. you're right. It, their, their demographic does skew a good bit younger. Um, but I think maybe maybe a better way for me to phrase it was – the older folks like us who have grown up with gaming, maybe they just stopped consuming games. Exactly. That's what I'm on, thinking. Not as much as they used to. Because there wasn't a site like Sifted that respected their time. Yeah. And yeah. They, got, they were like me. They got sick of going to NeoGAF or these forums and trying to dig mm. around and root around for stuff they actually cared about. They got tired of dealing with toxic community members. Yeah. Um, again, a big reason why with Sifted, our moderation is really heavy because I don't want adults to come to sift and have to deal with a bunch of children complaining about stuff yeah. and just freaking out definitely and it's so funny like every once in a while we'll get one of those people like maybe what i said earlier happened like my review of uh breath of the wild goes up <laughs> and 
and it's lower than everybody else's. Well, what happens is a couple Nintendo fans on Sifted go to all the Nintendo communities and are like, oh my gosh, look at this. Shane, I can't believe the score that he gave Scott, uh, Breath of the Wild. And so you'll get like this rush of people who will sign up and just come in to say I'm an idiot. And so. <laughs> but but the, thing, the thing about it is, is like when those people show up, they stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's, it's true. Like, that's true. It's not just me. Like the whole community immediately is yeah. like, this guy doesn't fit. Yeah. He's a, he he's a to... square peg trying to fit in a round hole. <laughs> and so I'll start yeah. getting like private messages on Sifted from people saying, hey, this guy, watch this guy. Like he doesn't fit in with us and we can see it already. Mm-hmm. And nine times out of ten within three days, that person is banned from Sifted. So. Wow. Fine. I mean, uh, how bad? How bad did it get with the the Pactor thing with the, the Iwata comment? Oh, the Iwata comment. Eh, you know what? It didn't get that bad. Yeah. Um, most of the ire was directed on YouTube, and that's kind of a nice little buffer zone that we have there. Right. Like, <laughs> most people just went on his on the video on YouTube and left comments there. And the the other thing is that for all our comments on YouTube, we okay them first. We don't just let anybody post whatever right. they want. Mm-hmm. So we actually curate the comments and we don't if there's negative criticism we don't like delete the comments right. because it's negative criticism if it's constructive criticism and it's actually someone acting like an adult saying hey i don't like this i don't agree with yeah. it here's why we're fine with that but man youtube oh my god yeah, it's, 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 it's a different kind of to- toxic toxicity so. it, it totally is so i think out of the There were like, I don't know, like a couple thousand comments on that video. And I think we actually okayed like 150 of them. Wow. That gives you an idea of yeah. like the percentage of Bullshit. people on there who were actually <laughs> like just trying to give constructive feedback and be respectful. Yeah. I think that's the biggest problem with not even just YouTube, but the internet in general is respect. Like people just don't respect other people online as if they're human beings. And yeah. I get yeah. it. There's this detachment um, between you and that person. And a lot of times... People say things they would never say to someone's face yeah. online, but it, it's just very hard. I can't. I can't detach from the fact that there's real people there. I don't yeah. know if it's a generational thing, but I never look at it like this is just an avatar and a name. Like mm-hmm. I always mm-hmm. put together, this is a human being on the other side of this. Well, maybe with the bot culture that's going on now, maybe it's not always true anymore. But but I've always managed to say this is another person, and I, you know, and be respectful to these people. I've never been a troll. I've never went and just berated people online. I've never done any of that stuff, so it's hard for me to kind of see it. It's all turned into that because, again, I was on the Internet at the very beginning. And at the very beginning, people were just so excited to be on the Internet. They were all awesome. They were all like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. can't believe I'm talking to other like <laughs> gamers about video games. It used to be a big deal. Weird yeah. thing on my computer. Like At that point, computers were like word processors and something like nerds used to like program stuff. Like The average person didn't just use them, and we were all so excited to just have it. The pervading mood online was so much more positive when it first launched, and I feel like over time it's just deteriorated and deteriorated. Mm-hmm. So we tried to kind of provide that oasis with Sifted, a place where adults can go and not have to deal with the usual trolls and the garbage you have to deal with other places. And I think for the most part we've succeeded with that. Uh, with the Internet, it's impossible to do that a thousand percent. It just, you know, I could be asleep at four in the morning, some jackhole can sign up and start being a jackhole, and mm-hmm. until somebody catches it, they're going to be able to do it. So there's only so much you can do. It's all about, one, and how you set expectations. And our terms of service are really stringent. And we say over and over again, hey, if you're a troll or if you've ever been banned from another community online, you might want to think twice about subscribing yeah. to Sifted. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and our terms of service, over and over again, like, you know, we, we moderate heavy here. We won't tolerate BS. Um, 
So I feel like that does a pretty good job of uh, kind of keeping the trolls away. But inevitably, a few are going to sneak in here and there, and that's that certainly happens. So, but we, it's all about how you approach it once they do, and how you deal with it, and how quickly you deal with it. I think ultimately is what's going to determine how successful your community is. Ah, oh, definitely, definitely. Donc tout le monde, on va prendre une petite pause pour discuter de notre commanditaire Edwidge Gaspar. Donc, vous recherchez la maison de vos rêves, vous avez besoin d'un prêt hypothécaire pour acheter un condo, une maison ou un plex. Quel que soit votre projet, Edwidge Gaspard, spécialiste en prêt hypothécaire de la Banque de Montréal, peut vous aider. Vous recevrez des conseils essentiels suivis un suivi personnalisé et les meilleurs taux sur le marché. En plus, vous pourrez recevoir jusqu'à 1000$ si vous obtenez avec Edwidge une hypothèque à l'achat d'une première maison. Mais si vous, avez déjà, vous êtes déjà propriétaire et que votre prêt arrive à échéance, vous pouvez aussi faire affaire avec Edwidge à travers la Banque de Montréal et vous, a, vous pouvez aussi obtenir le 1000$. Donc, avec cet argent, vous pouvez vous évader euh, ou peut-être partir un week-end ou épargner, peu importe. On est sûr que cet argent-là va vous porter, euh, vous allez utiliser à bon essayant. Bref, euh, <rire> les gens peuvent toujours utiliser un 1000$ de plus. Euh, donc, allez voir euh, Edwidge sur sa page euh, Facebook, euh, sur euh, le nom Edwidge Gaspard, spécialiste hypothécaire, ou contactez-la directement au 514-246-6796, 514-246-6796. Um, merci beaucoup. Back to the show. Shane, we, we need to talk games a little bit. Okay. <laughs> Definitely. So. Did you do a game eval about, um, uh, with, uh, about Final Fantasy XV? I did, yeah. I never saw it. So what was the final conclusion uh, for Final Fantasy XV? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> If you can, like, in a nutshell. Well, let's see. I don't know. I kind of fell in a different group from everybody else. Like, I felt that the open world stuff was garbage. And I thought that the end of the game, where it actually becomes more linear, was far more enjoyable. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. And... Because I just thought how they handled the open world in that game was terrible. It just, as far as open world games go, I thought it was kind of at the bottom of the rung. But mm -hmm. then when it became a more guided experience, I enjoyed it more. And I think maybe part of that, too, has to do with the fact that the game finishes really, really strong. Like, the last three or four hours of that game are absolutely incredible. Oh, really? And so maybe... So maybe that's skewing my impressions of the more linear half of the game a little more positively. Um... But overall, I thought playing in the open world was a complete chore. The fast travel, the way it worked, the car, I thought was just this contrivance that didn't work and just slowed the game down. Def yeah, I agree. Um, But overall, Shane, Shane, can you agree that the game um, is, um, to have the name Final Fantasy attached to it, it's, it's, uh, it's um, some kind of a disgrace? At this point, I mean, I, at this point, I think the expectations for the Final Fantasy games are pretty exactly. low. Exactly. I was just about to say the same. I mean, it's been a disgrace for a while, in my opinion. It's, it's. I mean, Final Fantasy IX was the last Final Fantasy I really, truly enjoyed. Yeah, and so same here, here we are, six games later, and I mean, honestly, it's probably the best game since Final Fantasy IX. Oh, that's, yeah. But that's not saying much, right? That's not saying much. No, to me it's not. I think to other people, there are people out there who love like Final Fantasy X and Final Fantasy XII. But I didn't like them. You see, but that's that. I have a question, or or I guess an opinion about that. Like, I uh, same as you. Uh, my favorite Final Fantasy was uh, Final Fantasy VI. Uh, yeah. I feel that the seven was overrated. Uh, nine was the last one that I enjoyed, really enjoyed. Yeah. 
I didn't touch the 10. I played the 11, but I had a, a static party. So that I the game was good, but I would say the players that I played with over the, the years actually made the game, the experience right. much more compelling for me. Uh, yeah. I haven't touched the, the 12. Mm-hmm. Have it, oh, yeah, 13. Well, yeah, people laughed at me. I, I tried playing the 13th, and I just stopped at some point. And yeah. uh, 14th, haven't played, playing the, trying, struggling in playing the 15th right now because uh, I got it for Christmas. And I, 15, you mean? 15. 15, yeah. yeah 15, 15 yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I got it for Christmas. Uh, I started it barely a month ago. I'm still in the first couple of hours. I'm, I'm trying to play the game. And uh, it's exactly kind of like what you and Matt uh, said on, on your show, on your guys' show. I don't see how a person can tell me that it's a good game. I, I, I don't get it. I really don't. I mean, excluding the whole I, I fanboy see factor. How people might say it's a good game because like, everyone has different opinions. Some people love the real campy Japanese stuff. I haven't yeah. liked that since I was like eight. <laughs> and look, there's, there's people playing Final Fantasy XV who are eight years old now. You yeah, know? So, okay. That's I can true. see where some people might say it's good. I, I would have a serious issue with anyone saying it's great or amazing or any sort of any of those superlatives. But but, but you know what I feel, Shane, is a, a, like, if I may, I don't want to cut you, but um, it's like movies, right? For me, games is like movies. So when I, when I think about it, it's like um, you can't sit here and tell me that Batman vs. Superman is a good movie. You might like it. You might enjoy yeah. it, but it's not a good movie. We have facts yeah, to the, prove to you that this is not a good movie. The dialogue scene over there is not good. This scene <laughs> is shot is not, you know, exactly. like there's, facts. There's you know? like points or call but, it like but a that, but, checkpoints. But that, doesn't, but that doesn't mean you can't like the game or, or the movie. Yeah. You, but, but it's still a bad movie, you know? So I feel that, you know, uh, Final Fantasy XV is the same thing. Like, yeah, the part at the end might be good and this might be okay and whatever, but at the end of the day, if you can't tell someone, hey, this is really good, go play it, it's bad, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of caveats with playing that game because I would say, you know, if you are really experienced with open world games, don't play it. Um, if you hate Japanese melodrama, don't play it. Mm -hmm. uh, if you hate stealth, don't play it. Because <laughs> yeah. you, guys probably, you guys probably haven't got to Chapter 13 yet, but there's this really long section of the game where you basically play stealth. And yeah. it's been well documented. Everybody pretty much unanimously hates it. <laughs> and again, it's like if you don't have 15 hours to burn, don't play it because that's at the point where the game kind of starts getting good and it can kind of push you over the finish line. So, look, I hear you. My first couple hours with this game, I literally sat and just laughed at it. <laughs> so, there is so much goofy stuff in this game that like. <laughs> there's just lots of contrivances like you can tell that it was like this thing that they had oh we got this part finished and now we have this part finished now we have this part finished now let's like sew them all together and try to find some kind of a glue to hold all the parts together and they just never really do mm -hmm. i mean, I mean it's literally split down the middle between open world and linear i, I don't i think there's been like one other game that ever did that so mm -hmm. Uh, certain franchises get a lot of sympathy. I think even from people who are particularly fans because of nostalgia, even people who don't maybe like Final Fantasy anymore, I still think some of them have a soft spot in their heart for it because they remember playing Final Fantasy VII right. on their yeah, original PlayStation. Yeah, or, the, or they definitely. remember playing the 16-bit or the 8-bit Final Fantasy games. And so, you know, it's uh, the thing is, is most people aren't as absorbed in games as journalists are. So it's... 
after it becomes a job after a while. You always yeah, enjoy sure. it. You're always sure. very happy that you have that job, but it does ultimately become a job. And and, and once it gets to that point, I think that's actually when you become the your better critic because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's when you start seeing everything flat and mm-hmm. you don't really have any biases anymore. You're like, this is just another game I need to play. I don't care what hardware it's on. I don't exactly. Care whose name, yeah, yeah, whose yeah. name is on it. Um, and you know, a lot. Truth be told, a lot of the YouTubers are young. Mm-hmm. They've kind of grown up in this younger generation. They're just not. They're not my age, and they haven't gone through what I've gone through, and mm-hmm. what a lot of the older uh, journalists have gone through. And so I can understand why when they first get on YouTube, they're like, "Oh my God, I can do this for a living." They're going to have slants, you know. Probably when I was a- their age, I probably had a slant here and there too. Yeah, so. Yeah. I, I can totally understand it, and I can understand why there's people out there who, you know, there's kids who are like, my parents will only buy me the Switch, or they'll only buy yeah. me the PS- yeah, PS4. Yeah. I can see why these kids latch on to these people who only care about the Switch, or only mm-hmm. care about the PlayStation right. 4. There's a logic uh, to it. There's a lot of them, yeah, and the hope is that as they get older, like, you know, as we've gotten older, exactly. you kind of start seeing exactly. things a little more evenly. The hope is that ultimately they do that too, and then they subscribe to Sifted. <laughs> definitely so do when, you when they want the truth <laughs> i think that's a big problem is that people don't want the truth they they just want to hear what they already they, believe exactly they want, they want exactly. somebody that they believe is in a position of in a position of power and in a position of influence regurgitating what they you already know, like-mindedness think. basically yeah yeah, and I mean, a part of it is the pre-order culture. You know, a lot of these people have already paid for the game. And mm-hmm. they're like, wait, this guy's telling me this game sucks. I already spent 60 bucks on it. I'm not wrong. He's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And then and then you get No Man's Sky. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> and, it, and it's so funny, too, because they've never even played it. They watch a trailer or whatever. They've it's seen, really in bad. some cases, maybe like 2% of the entire game. And they manage to convince themselves that they have the more informed opinion than the person who also watched that 2% of stuff exactly, and exactly. then actually played the game. And <laughs> when they can't rationalize why somebody would not like something that they like a lot, they just say, oh, they're biased yeah. or, oh, yeah. they're crazy or, you know, they hate blah, blah, blah. Like, I've even got a little bit of that on Sifted. They're like, oh, well, Shane doesn't like this genre. It's like, no. Like, it's like, <laughs> you're you're just like, the bad yeah. guy. You need to accept you're just the bad guy. <laughs> You and Marcus yeah, yeah. back in the day, you guys were the worst. You're the you're the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Speaking That's of Marcus, uh, any news on Marcus? Is he doing okay? Is he doing better? Marcus is doing very well, actually. Thank you for asking. He, uh, it's really a miracle. I am not personally a religious person, but if there's one thing that I've seen in my life that actually qualifies close to being a miracle, his recovery is one of them. Like, wow. Okay. Good to hear. What What happened to him and where he is now? It is unbelievable. So. I mean, a lot of it has to do with just modern science and medicine and things like that. Uh, a lot of it has to do with luck. His dog saved his life. Yeah, you know, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He went down with his heart attack, and his dog woke up his wife, and his wife came in. And he, and luckily for him, the dog immediately woke up his wife because that's the big X factor when you have a heart attack is how long are you without oxygen? Mm-hmm. Because every minute matters. Because every minute your brain without is without oxygen, it's being damaged. Yeah, and so... Yeah, yeah. They honestly, I don't think they actually know how long he was down before she started doing CPR on him. But based upon how quickly oh, she did, recovered, C- oh, she did CPR. Long at all. She did CPR on him. She was the one that did CPR. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. And waited for the paramedics to get there. Um, so he's very lucky. Uh, and he knows it. Uh, I've definitely noticed a little bit of a shift in Marcus. Mm-hmm, he's, okay. 
Marcus isn't gone. The annoyed gamer is still there. <laughs> he's, a little, he's a little softer now than he used to be. I think he has a new appreciation for the uh, simpler things in life. So, a- a- Any so, chance we're going to see some content from Marcus on uh, Sifted? Well, I don't know if you guys know or not, but Marcus at first was the co-host of... I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That was my leading question. That was going to be my leading question. Yeah. Uh, well, what's your question? My question is what happened? Uh, well, I don't want to go into... I mean, it's kind of been well-documented. What happened was he quit the day before E3. Right. And, yeah. And didn't, didn't really message it to anybody. He just didn't show up. And uh, then uh, later that day on Twitter, he posted some photo of him sitting in his backyard with a TV saying he was going to watch the press conferences from home. Right. That's how you um, found out? That's pretty much how I found out, yeah. Mm. The first hint I got was the day before he was supposed to meet us to get our E3 badges. Right. And, and he didn't show up. And so I'm like calling him and texting him. I'm like, hey, we're getting our badges. Uh, are, you, are you coming? Are you going to meet us? And he never replied. Right. And so that was the first inkling that something was a little off. Yeah. And then I just crossed my fingers, and I was like, well, hopefully he shows up tomorrow, and then he didn't. So, right. And the rest is um, history. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much all there is to it. Yeah. And uh, he, uh, you know, you can go look on his Twitter feed and see how he handled it and all that type of stuff. I'm not 1,000% happy with the way he reacted to everything online. I mm-hmm. tried to take the high road and, and all that, and I right. think I did. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Part. yeah. So, Um, I still love Marcus. Marcus and I are still great friends. Cool. And uh, I would certainly love for him to come and do content uh, with us. I mean, I think what it came down to is that he just didn't have the the interest in games anymore to do something weekly. I think yeah. what it was. I think he got tired of being forced to talk about and play games that he wasn't interested in. Right. Okay. And okay. Which I mean, in a sense, there's look, nothing. Look, this is me. This is all me saying this. this isn't Marcus didn't say this to me or anything. Right. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Having having being around him and kind of doing the show with him for a couple months. The impression that I got was there were certain things that he just wasn't interested in anymore and he didn't want to talk about. And because of the way podcasts and video casts are, inevitably you it's need demanding. to address everything. Yeah. yeah, it's demanding. And I think he, had, I think he had just kind of gotten to this place where he just wasn't concerned about it enough anymore to want to talk about everything that came out. And therefore, he probably wasn't a good fit for the show anyway at that point. So I would like to get him on Sifted to do something on his own. Um, I had actually pitched something to him not that long ago before he had his heart attack. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't even know if he remembers it now, to be honest, because <laughs> yeah, yeah. a little bit of a short-term For sure, memory. for sure, for sure, for uh, sure. And not a joke. I mean, just being serious, I don't know if he remembers that I had pitched it to him. So, you know, I'm giving him time now. He needs time to recover. He's doing rehab sure. and all this other stuff. Like, he needs to just worry about his health for and, sure. and that type of stuff right now. But certainly, I would love to get him back on Sifted. He has a great voice. He's a really smart guy. Um, he has great criticism. You know, he's really mm-hmm. his his criticism is cutting and sharp and smart, and that's why he managed to build the brand of GT that he did. You know, he mm-hmm. came to me and was like, "I'd like to do a show, or I'd like to come on your podcast." I had known Marcus for years and years before that. I knew he was funny. I knew he knew what he was talking about, and I was like, "Come on!" And you know, instantly people were like, "Oh, I love Marcus." So, and then we gave him his own show, Annoyed Gamer, and you know that did great for us. So. Mm-hmm. You know, people love hearing from, well, I wouldn't say everyone loves Marcus, because, <laughs> again, I think anyone who tells the truth online and, and says how they really feel and doesn't pander to the masses, mm-hmm. they're, they're going to have haters. They're going to have people who... There's always going to be like a love-hate, yeah. And I think that's the tough part that I was saying earlier about how a lot of the other podcasts and personalities in the industry, they just kind of agree with each other. And I think a big part of it is because they want to be liked, you know, and it's not easy. I mean... You know, because I t- 
tell it how it is, in my opinion, tell it how it is, and feel like I tell the truth about things. There's a lot of people that just don't like me and don't want to so, follow me. Uh, it it kind of goes in a, a question I wanted to ask you, basically, about the whole everyone agreeing or when you look at certain uh, gamer scores on certain games, particularly, again, uh, whether it's Zelda, Breath of the Wild, Final Fantasy. Is it? I, I always had a feeling that there was some kind of a taboo in the gaming industry if you had anything bad or like something negative to say about certain games uh again i, I always if i were to look at um, a game eval from you i literally i would watch it and then i would experience it for myself and it would make sense it, it would literally be okay th th those are the facts i mean they're just based on facts nobody's lying it's just facts and then i'll look at another eval or another review another review on another website no names and it's like high praises. So yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, is, the, is it like some kind of a taboo, unwritten rule that for people like us that are not in the, officially in the industry that we're not aware of, why is it like that so much? It's not a taboo. There's not like some kind of unwritten rule that like, hey, these are the franchises you can't say bad things about. But there are franchises that have very rabid fan bases. And journalists know which ones they are. I mean, Zelda. I'm not going to play... I mean, <laughs> Nintendo. Zelda, I mean, Zelda. Nintendo in general is one of them. Sega used to be really bad back in like the Dreamcast era. Like the Sega fans were some of the worst I've ever come across. I mean, I'm a I Sega mean, fan. Awesome. I'm a Sega fan. You were Sega. I was Nintendo back then. But now we're everything. So anyway, right. Well, what I was about to say is that they're also some of the best. Like because they're really passionate. And the more and the passionate Sega fans that actually respect other games, they're some of the best people you can ever have conversations with without For a doubt. Sure. But they also, back in the day, had some of the most rabid fanboys. And so journalists know. They know that there are certain franchises and companies that if you try to give them any kind of uh, criticism, you're going to get heat for it. And, and a lot of times it's a lot of heat. I mean, I had people, like when I worked at GT, I guarantee every week there was at least 30 emails sent to our feedback email inbox of people telling my boss to fire me every week without fail without fail that's he, crazy my my assistant was also his assistant and i think at first like she was only taking the emails to him and being like hey look at all these people complaining about shane and i think after a while he blew it off so much that he didn't care that she finally started sharing them with me and she's like, hey, I don't know if you want to know this or not, but I get like 30 emails a, a week from people saying that you should be fired. And it was like, I mean, the emails were insane. Like, I don't even know how they found like the feedback, like email address to like send wow. the stuff. Like, like people didn't even know wow. it existed. And, and then, you know, you get the people on Twitter that attack you. And I mean, so look, journalists are human beings. They know when they say certain things about certain games they that they're going to get backlash from it. And I don't know that it necessarily that's why they're keeping criticism out of uh, their reviews. It could just be that they really love the game and they're not seeing the problems. I mean, a lot of the here's the thing about games journalism is you don't get a lot of the experienced people reviewing games anymore. Oh. The ones that haven't moved on to a publisher or to a developer to a new job, they're now like executives. So they're working like over like five departments now they're they moved completely out of editorial and they're working in marketing or they're working in like cross promotion or some completely different department so or they're just like the editor-in-chief mm -hmm. and there's only one of those and you as an editor-in-chief at a place like GameSpot or ign 
you're overseeing a lot of stuff, man. I mean, they put out a ton of content every day. So you have a lot of really young people who are trying to make a name for themselves and trying to move up the ladder. And look, a lot of it now is about personality. I mean, that's why you get hired. Like, do people like seeing you on camera? How many people follow you on Twitter? Mm-hmm. Do people tell you that they love you all the time? Are they getting emails from fans saying that they love you instead of fire shame? Like, that type of stuff. <laughs> and so I feel like a lot of these people are probably on guard a little bit. And they're like, look, like, if I get this bad rep and people hate me, my career's doomed. So yeah, okay, makes sense. I, that's just a theory that I have. Obviously, I have no empirical evidence to but back I mean, it does, that up. It does it's make sense. Me. It could be a possibility. It's a possibility. Right. It's just me working in the industry for 20 years and kind of seeing the lay of the land and kind of seeing the different eras of game journalism coming and going. But uh, I would say that that's one probability for kind of why that happens. But, you know, it, it, it's the fear is real. You know, it's uh, <laughs> I never really got scared by Internet What's people. Reason? I was always like, yo, here's our address. Meet me after work. Like. <laughs> <laughs> okay all right all right they're they're all just lying they're all just talking a big game they're not going to really show up and they're not going to really do anything so i would just call their bluff basically mm-hmm. so i'm uh, sorry getting feedback there but um i was never no one ever showed up mm-hmm. and i live in a city of like eight million people and i'm sure some of those people that were talking smack about me lived Two miles away right. in yeah. Santa Monica. Yeah. They're not going to do anything. They're, they they wouldn't say those things to your face, let alone like shoot you or yeah. start a fist fight with yeah. you. Yeah. But, but it's all about the negative oppression, impressions, negative opinion. If people don't like what you're saying, they're not going to follow you on Twitter. They're not going to like go in your streams and tell you how awesome you are all the time. Um, I mean, honestly, like being an honest journalist has probably been a huge detriment to <laughs> my success in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like I don't have a ton of followers on Twitter compared to a lot of the big journalists that have been around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying this is exactly why. I'm just saying it might be one of the reasons factor, why. Yeah. Um, it's because eventually I say something that pisses everybody off. Like, <laughs> usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, it's a rare breed of people who don't really have any biases where gaming is concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when you're honest all the time, eventually you're going to say something that you believe to be honest that's going to anger somebody. And it's just like uh, the old adage about, like, buying cars. Like, somebody buys a car and they like it, they tell two people. Somebody buys a car and they hate it, they tell eight people. Mm -hmm. And and that just – that extrapolates right out to pretty much every facet of our our modern society. Anyways, I I feel that there's too much – the culture of fanboys is too uh, uh, omnipresent in the whole – seen in the whole industry and that was um, um, that was something i wanted to talk to you about also the state of the gaming industry so uh, there's two things like uh, we're coming to the to the end of the podcast but i i did want to touch that with you which was vr and yeah. the switch so okay. if if we start with vr mm-hmm. um what do you think wh- where do you think this is going on uh on 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 honest level like where, where do you feel the vr is going well when you say this level what do you mean no no i mean you like because the sales well, yeah because the sales where it is yeah now into where it's probably gonna lead to so to what extent is it gonna evolve well there's a couple things that need to happen one the well there's a few things that need to happen one the price of the headsets has to come way down mm-hmm It's just not at a consumer-friendly price. It's still a toy for rich kids right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's limiting its appeal. The other thing that needs to happen is the 
the core needs to come off of the back of the headsets. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a big issue. I think it's a big annoyance. And I think it's a big reason why people aren't diving in right now is because, and rightfully so, they think within a couple years there are going to be vastly superior technology that probably is cheaper than what we're getting right now. I mean, we're basically all guinea pigs. Mm-hmm. And, and three, they need to figure out a way to fix the motion sickness because mm-hmm. I feel like it scares a lot of people off of it. I get motion sickness from VR, mm-hmm. um, which I never thought I would ever be one of the people to get it. I never get car sick. I, ne- I can ride roller coasters all day and never get sick. I've never got motion sickness from a video game. And yet, VR literally makes me feel like I'm dying. I mean, wow. I mean, it really, I'm like, I wonder what dying feels like. That <laughs> moment when you know you're dying. I think that's what I feel like when I'm playing VR. I think wow. that's it. Okay. Like, okay. It's just this general feeling of unwellness, is I guess the best way to put it. And I think those are three big hurdles that they're going to have to get over before mass consumption of the headsets happens. Because you can already see it with Gear VR, which is Samsung's mm-hmm. mobile virtual reality headset it is the best-selling virtual reality headset because you can get it for a hundred bucks or sometimes they throw it in for free with the phone when you get a brand new galaxy phone and for a lot of people that's good enough Mm -hmm. like just i don't think the average person right now wants to engage in an ultimate in an alternate reality for a long period of time Mm -hmm. i think casual people view vr a little bit like it's going too far it's completely cutting yourself off from anything else okay, and yeah. it, you're going to this place and other people can't communicate with you at all and you're kind of locked off from society and i think there's still kind of this negative connotation about gaming that it's antisocial. Yeah, yeah and that a lot of gamers don't have friends and they live in their mom's basement we've heard all that crap blah blah mm-hmm, blah mm-hmm. and you know those, those impressions have changed over time but I think when more casual players and more casual people look at gaming still and they look at VR, I think that's what they see. They see this activity that completely cuts them off from everything. And I think it's a little scary for them. So I think it's going to take those three things happening and I think just a gradual kind of change in the opinion and impressions of VR over time before the mass audience is going to pick it up. Uh, the good news is is that the companies that are all in on VR have deep pockets. Right, so, yeah. But yeah. there's some companies that are getting into it that really have no business. Like Starbreeze is putting out a VR headset. Oh, I don't know what Starbreeze I, I didn't is. Even know. I don't even know who Starbreeze Yeah, Yeah, it's just doomed to fail. There's all these, yeah, I mean, there's all these little companies putting out, like, VR headsets. And they're looking at a company like Oculus that's owned by Facebook. Or they're looking at the Vive that's owned by a company like HTC. And they're looking at PlayStation VR, which is owned by a company as big as Sony. Mm-hmm. And they're think- and they can- these companies cannot make these head-mounted displays successful. What Where makes are you going? That they- yeah. It makes no sense. Mm-hmm. And, so- and I think another part of it, too, is there's a lot of confusion. Maybe there's already too many options. Maybe with three different headsets, it's already too much. And it spreads. And when you start talking about exclusive software for these platforms, it starts spreading it out. So it's like you're a okay. VR developer. Yeah. Let, let's say, mm-hmm. and you're and you're working on a VR game, and Sony comes to you and they're like, "Hey, you know, we want you to make this exclusively for PlayStation VR, and we're going to give you five million dollars just to secure it for PlayStation VR." That's great for the developer, but it's not great for the platform because that game is not going to be played by yeah. two thirds mm-hmm. of the market. And mm-hmm. when you talk about a, a market that is just starting, it's just in its genesis, just in, in its infancy. To have what's already a small user base spread out across three different platforms, it makes it really hard to get any traction. And when you start talking about the software 
spread out across three platforms, it's going to be really difficult to have one platform that has enough killer apps to make it worth buying. Yeah. So there's just there's myriad issues with VR right now. I think it's still honestly like five years away from major consumer consumption other than the stuff you strap on with your mobile phone, you put your phone right. in it and put it on. Like right. that stuff, I think people are like, hey, like I can watch my summer vacation in VR or <laughs> I can download this thing for a dollar and all of a sudden I'm at the bottom of the Eiffel Tower. Like I think that kind of stuff is going to do well. Um, but I just think that mass consumption of VR for actual playing games and even extrapolated out further for playing hardcore games, I just think it's a long ways off. And I think right now we're the guinea pigs and we're paying the high price for it in both, both financially and, in my case, physically, because I get ill every time I play it. So, um, <laughs> so, so I think in five years, the headsets are going to be great. Um, I think the motion sickness will get better as the headsets get better, the technology in them gets better. I think the price is going to go way down. And by then, also, I feel like a lot of the companies are going to get weeded out. Uh, a lot of these smaller guys are going to go away. And I even think one of the two big boys are eventually going to get squeezed out. We're just going to yeah. have one or two options. But that'll be good because you know there's going to be a steady stream of great software for those two options. Anyways, first, first and foremost, I, I, I'm, I'm waiting to see what Oculus is going to do with Facebook because for now, I don't understand why. Like, I, I mean, of, of course, I understand the technology and everything, but it seems yeah. like they don't have a clear plan. But anyways, who am I, right? So, so, so well, we're going to let them figure it out. But I, I did want to say um, I do not get um, uh, motion sickness from uh, playing VR. I was at a um, uh, at a family uh, event last year, Thanksgiving, and basically uh, my cousin-in-law basically bought the v- uh, bought the PlayStation VR, right? So it was my first time experience it, and I was pretty amazed. I was pretty amazed at the technology of it, right? I um, I mean the feeling of turning your head behind you, like turning your head behind and, you, and, and literally and seeing, seeing something you. is incredible, you know. Yeah, and it's the and first time you do it, it's a total paradigm shift. It ex- blows your mind. Yeah, I mean, it, one, of my, it, one of my greatest pleasures is letting people try VR for the first time when and they come over them. and just sitting and, and them. watching them. Yeah. So that was my just point. Freak out. So that was exactly my point. So so basically, when when he made me try the thing, we were like a bunch, maybe ten around every person trying it and we were laughing and you know watching the the, yeah. the person's reaction and whatever especially the kitchen demo uh, did you try yeah. it oh yeah yeah that's so my go-to demo when people come over it, i mean as long as they're old enough right yeah exactly sure. <laughs> i mean the kitchen demo i literally like i couldn't do it uh uh till the till the end you know like i i i, I just couldn't you know but i loved it you know and i made and basically what happened is that I came back to Montreal, uh, basically my family was in New York, came back to Montreal, and I talked to my little brother, and what they did for Christmas, you know, <laughs> they did for Christmas, they went to Walmart, they bought the PlayStation VR, okay, for just wow. for Christmas, just for Christmas, so we made everybody in the family uh, try the, the kitchen demos, <laughs> and they filmed them, you know, just uh, watching the reaction, so it doesn't matter, it wasn't my mom, uh, my aunts, uh, you know, it didn't, it didn't matter yeah. if you were gamers or not. And you know the reaction of people was so was so funny, and you know, and and we're having conversations about the technology and whatever. But ultimately, what happened is that they brought it back. You know, like they just they just bought it for 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 Christmas. For the experience, just, but yeah, they nobody you know, had and, any intentions of keeping it. But one thing, they, I, they returned it. Yeah, they returned <laughs> it. You know, because it was just for Christmas. It was just because everybody wanted to be there, 
And we're known as a gaming family, so you know, like uh, you know, we have it all set up, you know, in the family basement stuff like that. So, so it was really cool. But I did want to say, I remember when you spoke about it with Matt. You spoke about a little um, adventure game with that little thing there, uh, that that boy, whatever, that robot thing. That game is yeah. amazing. That it, game it, is. It'll blow your mind. It, and <laughs> Gabby, no, because Gabby didn't try it yet. No. That game is amazing. It's it's basically <laughs> Mario sixty four. But you're controlling it with VR. It's incredible. You're, standing in the, you're basically standing in the middle of the level. Right. And, and Mario recognizes that you're there. Right. So it's like the little dude is constantly looking at you and looking yep. up at you and like making gestures. Really? Or it just completely plants your butt right into that world. Amazing. So that's a demo? No it's a it. demo? Yeah, it's a demo. I'm, no, I mean, it's a full game, it's right? Free. Yeah, Yeah, and it's a full game. But yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. Oh, I, I, I didn't, I didn't finish it. I didn't finish it. But, uh, um, uh, but I, I, I was amazed. So I, I did agree with you on, on that point. Um, last point I wanted to touch on is is the Switch. Um, um, uh, how do you like it so far? I mean, obviously I, I watch Game Face, but uh, um, um, what's your real take on it? Like, not your real well, take, real, but you know, for our, for our listeners who yeah. don't know you, whatever. My real take, you got it already. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I know how to give. Uh, let's see, man. I mean, in all honesty, I feel like I'm a lot more sour on it than a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I've seen this movie before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I got the Switch. I played Zelda, had a blast playing Zelda. And I haven't turned a thing on since. Mm. And and I just walked past it the other day at my entertainment center, and it already has a layer of dust on mm-hmm. top of it. So, and then I looked at my Wii U gamepad sitting on the arm of my couch, and it's covered in dust. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just feel like I'm starting to see too many parallels because it seems like every day there's another announcement about some game that people really like that isn't coming it's to Switch. It's not coming to Switch, yeah. I mean, where are the announcements every day of this game is coming to Switch? Instead, every day it's like, oh, yesterday it was Overwatch isn't coming to Switch. Mm-hmm. And then, like, a few days before that, it was Middle Earth Shadow of War isn't coming. And it's just like... But in all honesty, even even if they, they do come out, they don't... It's not like it's going to be able to run properly. Yeah. Right. So I don't, yeah, I don't I mean, even... That's my other big disappointment is the power of the Switch. I just feel like it's way too underpowered. I... Nintendo, for whatever reason, just is completely content to just keep taking baby steps with its hardware while its competitors keep taking huge leaps. And I feel like at first it wasn't such a big deal, um, but I feel like if it keeps going down this path, the gap is just going to keep getting bigger yep. and bigger. Overwhelming. Um, it, I mean, once the Wii U went HD, I almost feel like Nintendo was like, that's good enough. Like, well, we're HD. <laughs> like, it's only 720p, but it's HD. Like, and I mean, you know, to be fair to Nintendo, most of its games generally aren't realistic. And, you know, you burn up a lot of rendering True. resources, rendering things like hair. Like, yeah. If you if you look at Nintendo's games, it's all very simple shapes. Like yep. it's all cartoony. Like Mario's hair is just like a plastic shape on his head. It's not like it flows, and it never will. Like Nintendo's never going to make Mario look like a real human being. And so I I think in some ways Nintendo's games get away with it a lot more than other games do. I mean there are Wii U games that if you look at them you'd be like I really couldn't tell if this is running on a PS4 or an Xbox One. Mm-hmm. You look like Mario Kart. Like mm-hmm. it's a really good use of like 
how many polygons that hardware can push, mm-hmm. and the, the shaders that it can. I mean, it looks like it could have been running on a PS4. When you start looking at more realistic-looking games like Xenoblade Chronicles, yeah. and then you start comparing that to the same games on PS4 or Xbox One, yeah. that's where Nintendo's hardware really starts to look weak. And unfortunately, the, the mass audience of players these days, they want to play more realistic-looking games. I mean, it's great that you have Nintendo there. And look, I, I honestly love it all. You know, I like Nintendo games, cartoony games, just as much as the most realistic, but most the mass, games but the mass. on the market. Like, Right, it's all the same to me, but the truth is is that the, ma- the vast majority of players aren't that way. They mm-hmm. prefer more realistic, more gritty, exactly. uh, more violent games, and when you have weak hardware and you try to pull off that type of stuff, it just comes off looking really poor and low rent. So mm-hmm. I, I just feel like Nintendo is up against the same obstacles it's always been up against. It's, it's not going to have enough third-party support. It's not going to have the mm-hmm. games that people expect to have on a video game console. Um, it's it's said that it's gonna have it's gonna have another handheld after the 3ds, which I think is an absolutely terrible idea. The best thing I heard about Switch was that Nintendo was gonna ditch its handheld and you switch as both the console and the handheld because that's the only way Nintendo is going to be able to supply enough software on its own yep. for a single platform. That's mm-hmm. the only way mm-hmm. it's gonna be able to do it. And so to hear that, oh no no no, we're gonna keep the 3ds alive at least through the rest of this year, and then there's another handheld coming. I think that's a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. Terrible, just, terrible, all terrible. All of their resources should be funneling into the yep. Switch and yep. just cranking out this steady stream. And look, like all Switch games don't have to be polygonal 3D games. Yep. Like, yeah. People are fine playing 2D games that they normally would have played on their 3DS yeah. on mm-hmm. the Switch. Mm-hmm. No one has a problem with that. Shovel like, I, Shovel Knight is a great example of that. Yeah, it's a great example of it. Yeah. Like, we don't... I just think Nintendo... It, it feels like it takes one step forward and two steps back constantly. Yep. And, look, I love Nintendo. Like, I know a lot of people on Sifted who are big Nintendo fans, and there are some of them probably think I hate Nintendo. Like, some of the, there's been people who have left Sifted and canceled their subscriptions because they think I hate Nintendo. Right. But, and no, nothing could be farther from the truth. If anything... They are the video game developer and publisher that is nearest and dearest to my heart. Yep. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm going to tell the truth about them. I'm yeah, going to tell yeah, the truth yeah, about yeah, everybody. Yeah. And the truth is that Nintendo lives like in a time warp a lot of yeah. times. Yeah, with definitely. I agree like, with that. I agree with that. Friend, I, mean, I would. Um, friends co- friend codes again with the Switch. Like, how many times did Reggie have to get asked in interviews? Like, yo, friend codes suck, man. Nobody and likes I would, them. Honestly, and how many times did you say we get it? We've heard it. We heard it. And then here comes the switch. We have friend codes again. It's like I would be curious to know. Um, obviously, they they, 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 they have a, a big fan base amongst you know children, specifically in North America. But I would yeah. be curious to know if it wasn't for me personally, the mass majority of of, of their their fans or or customers, so to say, so to speak would be the ones who grew up with, you know, playing Nintendo games like us. But I can't, yeah. I can't, so if I if I had children, I would push it to my children, you right. know, Mario, Zelda, whatever have you. Maybe not Zelda, because apparently it's a pretty tough game now, but <laughs> uh, again, for the kid, uh, what's the other game? Splatoon. But yeah. I, I, I haven't uh, played a Nintendo game in, in forever, and I still... You know, keep in touch with what they're doing, what they're what they're working right. on, or whatever. But I was able to see me personally, like the same way that I, as I got older, I evolved, and the company that I fell in love with just hasn't at all, has not yeah. changed, has not basically shown that you know what we still 
we still adhere. Okay, we still obviously adhere to our our our, our core fan base, but we also recognize the ones that uh, pretty much grew with us, mm-hmm. I guess, in a sense. Yeah. And, uh, I think that's. I think Zelda is kind of a nod to that, the new Zelda, Breath of the Wild, because it's far and away the most difficult Zelda since like the 2D Zelda. Right. It's, uh, I mean, 3D Zeldas have become so easy. I think in Skyward Sword, I literally died five times the whole game. <laughs> okay. Wow. All right. I died five times in the first like 40 minutes of playing Breath of the Wild. I mean, it's a. Uh, this this is one game. Like, I have a buddy who has a seven year old son, mm-hmm. and he texted me the day the Switch came out. I think I may have even shared this on Game Face, but I'll, I'll share it again. And he said that, uh, "Hey, what's up with the Switch?" Um, do you think I should get it for my seven-year-old son? And I wrote back to him. I'm like, no. <laughs> I mean, and look, I know that kids are way more advanced than we were when we were seven years old or whatever. But not um, Dark Souls but advanced. Still, I still think that the game is a little too challenging and frustrating and open for a seven-year-old to come to grips with. So Nintendo, is, I feel like it's kind of done that with Breath of the Wild. I think it has kind of like said, hey, this is for our longtime fans. This is for the people who help build our company and mm-hmm. not just the people that we're trying to get on board to help us stay afloat. So I would say Zelda probably is one nod that direction. But I would agree. Like, the, you know, the games, their games generally lack challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, uh, for adults, probably the only other franchise that still resonates really strongly is Mario Kart. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that game can be challenging once or you step up to the higher, the higher CC ratings. Or if you're playing against other people who are mm-hmm. really good, uh, there's a challenge there. But uh, the vast majority of Nintendo's games have become really easy. And uh, a lot of people are turned off by cartoon art styles. I'm not, but a lot of people are. I yeah. mean, it's just the, the truth. And it's a big reason why Nintendo's fallen so much over the last, like, 20 years, in all honesty. Mm. Because people have gotten older and their tastes change and their tastes just don't really align with Nintendo anymore. Of course, Nintendo is idea is that there are new children born every day yeah yeah that's true that's true and And, it's a working formula those children become our customers and and then we hope to keep them as long as we can yeah yeah um you know there's a there's a reason nintendo has more money in the bank than god i mean it's a (laughs) yeah it's a formula that works it could fail with three more consoles in a row and could come back for a fourth so um, I, I try not to bang on Nintendo too hard because ultimately the proof is in the pudding and the pudding is a big pile of money in their bank account. Yeah. So, but but look, there's a lot of people like us that are disaffected and feel like Nintendo doesn't speak to them anymore and doesn't address them anymore. I'm I'm fed and, up. I'm 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 to be honest, I'm I'm me, I'm you know you know what, uh if if you would come to my house you go into my basement in my office, I have a little TV, HDTV connected just because I play sometimes while I'm working, whatever. And um, um, uh, it's a Sega Saturn that's plugged in my TV, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and yeah. basically, you know, uh, you know my, my little cousin and my little brother, they, you know, they, they, they're fed up with me, with me because every time we have conversations about games, I always revert back to the old school. And, right. <laughs> and because to me, it doesn't make any sense that when you ask most people what's your top 10 what's your top 10 best games, your list, you know, 90% of those games are going to be, you know, prior to this generation, you know, and, 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 and uh, yeah, yeah and, and yeah, I mean, true. I mean, my favorite game of all time is, is Chrono Trigger, you know, uh, and, 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 right, so, and Chrono Trigger, and you don't remember the example I said earlier about Batman vs Superman, right, so, yeah. basically Chrono Trigger is a type of, is a type of game that nobody, no one nobody can say it. nobody that it's bad. It. No one. Yeah. 
Shane, and, yeah. and you've been in the industry, right? I, I was not yeah. in the industry. Tell me somebody you met that said, no, Corner Trigger is not a good game. No, now Corner Cross is a It's a story. different story. Exactly. Different story. You know, that's it's a different story. It's not the same story. thing. Exactly. <laughs> so, so to well, me... Chrono Cross is one of the few games GameSpot has ever given a perfect 10. And I was working there when that happened. And I had a freelancer come in with a perfect 10. And I always remember... That's weird. Greg Kasavin grilling him for like three hours over it. But he stood his ground and they gave it a perfect 10. Wow. Uh, I, I think that's I, ridiculous. Coral Cross is not a perfect 10. I was not but, aware of that. I agree. No, yeah. you know. But, 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 but again, I mean, I mean it, it's, it's, to me, it's, it's, uh, I feel like the industry is going the wrong way in the sense that I feel that uh, some, of the, some of the game companies and producers and, and developers are missing the art you know, that they had before, you know, like the, the direction. And I feel that all those producers and the, um, uh, the classics one, you know, Yuji Naka, Irobu Shakaguchi, um, you know, all, all those guys, mm -hmm. I felt that when they made a game, it, I felt it was not, you know, to make money. It was because it was hard to them, you know, like, you know, literally yeah, like a painter, you yeah. know, and, and, and I feel that that's what we're missing right now, yeah. you know? Yeah, because, again... Video games have become assembly lines. Exactly. Exactly, kind of like. I mean, that's really what it is because they're so expensive to produce now. You have to hire so many people, and you have to pay each one of those people so much money mm -hmm. that they really—it's just really become like you're putting a, a car together anymore. And when you do stuff like that, it's hard to impart any sort of heart into the game because I think the old, the old school developers, a lot of them thought about the heart of the game first, mm. yeah, mm. and then and then built the mechanics around sort of that ideal and now you're kind of seeing the reverse and the other problem too with uh the cost of development is that it's making everyone risk averse so yeah right yeah, what, de sure. what developers and publishers are doing is they're looking at what was successful already and they're just trying to replicate it while putting their own spin on it and mm -hmm. a lot of times their own spin so to speak is working. hey here's a different character and Here's a different setting and a different story, but, but otherwise it's all the same. I mean, you even look at like Horizon Zero Dawn, doesn't do anything particularly innovative, but mm -hmm. it's a great game. Right, so it's solid. Yeah, it does yeah, everything yeah. exceptionally well. Right, it's at the top of its class in almost everything that it tries to do. But I don't know. I've been playing it now for a few hours, and you know the one thing I'll say when you compare Breath of the Wild to Horizon. that game is that Breath of the Wild does have heart mm -hmm. because. You can see that the developers were digging around in that game, trying to find all these little things that players would do. And I think when you try to quantify heart in a game, mm -hmm. I think that's kind of it, is the developers trying to figure out how a game is going to affect the player right. and then intentionally manipulating that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And in Breath of the Wild, you see that stuff all over the place. Like, right. Everything like works together. Like You're like, oh, I wonder if I can do this. And then you try it, and you can. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of other games are a lot more rigid, and Horizon Zero Dawn is, is one of them. Way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just an just game, uh, but one. We're talking about heart. It's like I think it's the developer recognizing that there's another human being who's going to play this, who may try to do things other than what the game tells them to do. Right, right. I, I, I listen. I, I agree totally. You want to say? Uh, no, yeah. I mean, just to add to to your point about um, heart or the feel a feeling that the, the game can give to a player. Uh, in uh, your latest uh, Game Face episode, uh, Matt at some point made a comment about uh, in Breath of the Wild when you actually take an enemy, an enemy's weapon, and then you see the enemy's reaction. I mean, those are yeah. the, those are little elements. It's not huge, but these are elements that, that yeah. speaks to the player. 
so 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 and it adds up too particularly in that game there's all kinds of little stuff like that that happens and you're like what (laughs) (laughs) so i think i think that's that's what i wanted to say is i would be so sad if nintendo left the game yeah you know because i feel i feel that the the the, the two devastated yeah yeah for sure devastated yeah and that's and that's the reason why you know i feel bad every time they make a new console and it doesn't resonate with you know with with the mass because i want them to do well so that they can you know give them their give uh, their overwatch give them their call of duties and in the and and after that we can get you know the special games yeah, you know like their special y- sauce, you know yeah. like whatever yeah. but but right now i feel that you know they're they're missing their mark by a wide margin you know it's shooting itself in the foot though that's the thing it's it's a self it's self-inflicted wounds it's yeah, yeah. Look, I did an episode of Guy where I said it's not always smart to listen to the fans because that can lead you to a road to ruin and it can mm-hmm. lead to a bunch of problems. But there are some times where you don't it's not even listening to the fans. It's just listening to common sense mm-hmm. and what the average person expects and wants mm-hmm. from a piece of hardware. Mm-hmm. Like the average person doesn't want a fifteen digit code to give someone so they yep. can play with them online yeah, it's just it's weird fun- the thought process it's, doesn't just make fundamental sense fundamental tenets of console gaming yep. nintendo just either chooses to ignore or thinks they're insignificant or and, i mean the other thing with nintendo is that there's always been this weird kind of wall between nintendo of america and nintendo of japan yep, um, yep. yep. nintendo of america yep. always has to, to demure to nintendo of japan i've talked to a lot of people who worked at nintendo who left there and don't work there anymore and i mean when they're being candid about it they're basically just says it sucks it's a nightmare mm. you know mm-hmm. you go to meetings with them and you tell them all this stuff and they just kind of sit there and nod their heads and then they tell you that you're wrong <laughs> and <laughs> And then, you know, they, they, they're the ones signing your paychecks. So you're like, okay, I tried. Oh, wow. Okay. And All look, right. And look, they're very disconnected from what's going on as well. The Japanese, there's really, the internet culture there is very different. They don't yeah. spend a lot of time online. Like, there's no, can you think of any successful Japanese gaming websites? Nope. Nope. None. There's nope. none. They don't use the internet. So, People in Japan aren't really aware of kind of what's going on with internet culture. In a lot of cases, just foreign culture in general. They're mm-hmm. not plugged into it like we mm-hmm. are, and they're not plugged into it like the people in Europe are. And they're a little, to be honest, they're a lot of times they're just naive. Mm-hmm. And and in that case, it's Nintendo of America's job to inform them. And if they do that, and Nintendo of Japan refuses to listen to them, there's really nothing we can do about it. Mm-hmm. So. I feel like, you know, helpless. I feel like you guys, oh, I feel bad, blah, blah, blah. At this point, like, okay. I don't feel bad about it anymore. I'm yeah. like, you guys have made your bed. You can lie in it. You <laughs> shot, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Like, yeah. people want you. Look, you guys are both saying, like, I want Nintendo to be a success. Everybody yeah. does. Yeah. Nobody, ha- I don't know how, know how anyone could hate Nintendo. That yeah. is just... That, that just boggles the mind. Like, how anyone can ever say, I hate Nintendo. How can you? If it weren't for them, we wouldn't even... None of this would be here. No, like, no, no, no. For sure. I mean, I mean, I think... People and, wanted to succeed. People want to root for them. They want them to do well. And it's just time and time again, yeah. Nintendo just just shooting themselves in the foot. It's just... It, it's uncanny. Anyways, I, 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 I just blame it on, on this new culture and this new era of people, you know, not... Um, how can I say this? Um... 
you know, they don't vote with their wallets, like we say, you know, oh, like, yeah, uh, yeah, and, yeah, and in a yeah. sense that, and every time they buy a new game, they need to find a reason why it's good. And to me, yeah. I, I feel like, you know, the, the, the more, more, most recently, a, a problem I had with a game that everybody liked, I mean, two games that, no, sorry, three games that everybody liked <laughs> was uh, Nino Kuni, okay. um, uh, Bravely Default, and um, um, Xenoblade Chronicles. Okay. All RPGs, all critically acclaimed, and they all sucked. You know, I couldn't get into Xenoblade Chronicles at all. Listen, at all. listen, Shane. Xenoblade Chronicles is a marvel to 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 roam about. You know, in terms of the game, like the environment that they created, the fact that you are on this landscape that's part of the robot, you know, and stuff like that. That storyline to me was amazing, but the game itself, the control, the gameplay, like. Like for, I, I, Shane, this is Horrible. me, and, and you're talking to a veteran. You know, like you know, you, you saw you saw my taste in games, right? Like Chrono yeah. Co- Trigger is one of my best games, right? So whatever. So yeah. I'm a big RPG fan. Start playing that game, and I'm like, and I'm talking to Gabby, and I'm like, yo, Gabby, this game is good. You know, like I, I like I like it. I like it so far. You know, for whatever <laughs> reason, right? And and, and and he's like, okay. And then I get new characters, and then I'm like, oh, for sure, I'm gonna be able to switch between those characters mid battle. <laughs> You can't. Yeah. You can't. <laughs> you the, the, yeah. and 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 to me, you know, like uh, um, to me, like Nino Kuni, I couldn't even like. I I, t- I think I played like an hour and, and uh, yeah. two hours, whatever. Like, I'm sorry, I did not find it good. Like, I found I it. I think Nino Kuni starts really slow. Ah. I think you may want to go back to it and give it another chance. You think so? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't get into it. That that Pokemon thing, you know, those little monsters things, whatever. Yeah. Like, I I, c- uh, like I agree with you. Like the first couple hours of that game aren't exactly motivating you to play a game that you you're assuming is about thirty or forty hours long. Right. <laughs> but I think if you stick with it, I think you may change your mind on it. I broke the disc, so whatever. So, oh, well, so- there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I was frustrated, you know, because me, I'm passionate. So I was having these discussions with my with my cousin. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that. I, I think it was there. And I was so pissed off at video games, I threw the disc on the wall. And I was like, I can't enjoy games anymore. Like, I'm so fed up of them, you know. And, and Bravely Default was the icing on the cake. Like, I'm sorry, that game is not good. Did you play it, Shane? I have not played Bravely Default. Uh. I feel like you're, uh, maybe you should just stop playing JRPG. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should. Maybe I should. Very good and sound. Maybe I should. Maybe I should. But you know, I'm. Let's be honest. They really haven't changed in like 20 years. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. You know what's been happening to me with uh, JRPGs is, at best, I'll get to the end and then I just stop. I stop. Really? I don't even bother finishing Bravely Default. Uh, I don't know if you've heard a bit. I'm. I'm. Well, a little bit of a spoiler. Uh, At some point, it goes to some kind of a loop. I don't know if you've heard of, of uh, that I've again. I've heard that, yeah, yeah. And then only to get to that point, only to realize, really, this is what it comes down to. You're 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 yeah. you're looping until rehashing bosses until you fight the real. I'm like, no. And then I was done. That was it for me. I'm done. Anyways, well, that was uh, one of my big complaints with Breath of the Wild, and a big complaint I have with games in general is games that do not respect the player's time. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, that's my big problem with Breath of the Wild. It's like at every turn, it's like, I don't care how annoying this is for you. You're going to sit underneath this roof while you wait for it to stop raining. Or <laughs> you're going to sit there for five minutes waiting to climb up this rock face. Like, 
any game that doesn't respect my time, I have, I generally have issues with. Right. And I think that's a part. That's part of being older and being busy. Exactly. And yep. Exactly. More response. Yeah. Look, if you're an eight-year-old or ten-year-old kid and you got all the time in the world to burn, and your parents use your video game console as a babysitter, you don't mind. You, of course, of course, you're gonna say Shane's crazy. Yeah. Getting pissed off that it rains in Zelda and you can't do anything while it rains. <laughs> like the rain come down and say oh that's pretty or whatever like but you know when you get to a certain point in your life you don't have time for that you don't have time to sit around and waste like 30 minutes waiting for the weather to change the fake weather to change in a video <laughs> yeah. it's I mean, like- it's come to a point where i mean uh, definitely you put a lot of hours in because it, it, it concerns your your job right but right. for me i think we're all at a point where we can actually look at our console and may consider turning it on and just imagining foreseeing what's to come and not even bother turning the console on knowing that you know what in the next 15 20 minutes hour i don't feel like traversing only to probably not accomplish anything so most a lot of times i just end up not even turning the the console on anyways i'm 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 I'm, I'm still a huge i'm still a huge fan of the industry um i follow it uh like you know really hardcore but i felt it let me down for like past the, the past decade the past yeah. 15 years i feel yeah i feel let down you know i feel like uh you know something needs to happen i don't know if it's gonna happen but you know we're we're, we're long um the the the, the time of uh, mario 64 or uh the first smash bro you know i you know it's, oh, it's the first yeah yeah i mean it's you feel that something is missing and i don't know how they're gonna fix it you know but i feel all consoles they're missing some kind of a you know look at microsoft they don't even have a mascot you know like yeah. and, and and when i mean mascot like i don't well, mean Sonic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, well, I mean, and and even Master Chief, it it feels like they they, they let him down recently. You know, like it, it that's what it feels like. And I was never a Halo fan. You know, but you and recognize I can, that. you know, you it, it, it's crazy, that. right? I can see that from afar, and I'm not even a Microsoft. I mean, I don't own a Microsoft console. You know, like it's it's crazy. You know, and and anyways, I, I don't know what's gonna happen. You know, honestly, but you know, I'm still a fan of the industry at the end of the day. Well, that's good. I don't think that'll ever die. If you get to this point and you still love games, I don't think it's ever gone away. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> I can't argue with that, you know. But uh, listen, Shane, um, we've we've uh, <laughs> well past our mark that we expect. <laughs> that's what happens when you put a bunch of gamers together. Yeah, I mean, listen. Um, uh, thanks again for joining us. Um, uh, before we leave, uh, um, can you tell people how to reach you? I mean, uh, for Sifted and what and, and whatnot. Game Face, plug it in. Yep. So I'm Shane Satterford. You can find me on Twitter at Dinfire, and you can find Sifted.net at Sifted.net. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that's siftd.net yeah and and uh, you, i don't think you specified that i just want to be sure uh people need to pay to go to sifted so i just want to let people know well, that not actually no no no, no, no. A, oh no to have the premium content to have the premium community is free right but if you want to uh watch our shows or any of our original content it requires an annual subscription of fifty dollars a year or five dollars a month okay and i would strongly suggest people to pay that because you're just only for game face I mean that's that's I mean that's the cue of our week, you know. So <laughs> it's the only website worth going to. That's what I, I that's what I stand by. Well, I appreciate the kind words, guys. Thanks. So uh, pass uh, Matt our regards. Definitely. And uh, 
<rire> This is the part where we're going to talk in French. So, uh, <rire> donc, tout le monde, j'espère que vous avez aimé l'épisode, l'épisode avec euh, Shane. Euh, vraiment gentil de lui de pouvoir me parler directement de la Californie. Donc, euh, l'épisode 22. Euh, je suis Steven Charles. Gabi Michel. Euh, donc, uh, we out. Ciao, people. Peace.